Okay. We are live on the Edlow Podcast here with Kevin Evers. Hello, Kevin. Hey, what's up, Josh? Good to be here, buddy. That was my Good. intro music, Small Town. <laughs> there you go. I'm small Town. That's that we uh actually when I was in high school uh in the basketball team, we that was one of our warm-up songs. Nice small towns, very small towns. So uh, if you imagine um uh country music generally isn't uh good warm-up music for athletics but when you're from a small town it's all good man <laughs> <laughs> nice what, what town are you from uh so it's a little town called almira washington uh, hmm. it's in eastern washington uh in between spokane and wenatchee so nice wenatchee's like right in the middle of the state and spokane's on the eastern side and little wheat farming community of Almire, Washington is right in the middle of it too. So that's where I'm from. Population about 300 or so. Um, you know, my high school was actually three towns, three little towns, little wheat farming community towns combined to make one high school. So, and uh, high school wasn't big. Out of four grades, there was about 120 students. Wow. So, yeah, we wow. had a big graduating class. It was 36. That was one of the bigger classes, right? So, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. And you were obviously the tallest guy there. How tall are you? So 6'5", 225. Give me the ding. You know, <laughs> Patrick ding. Uh, so, yeah, um, I actually wasn't the tallest guy. My brother, uh, 13 months older than me, uh, was two inches taller. Um, so he was there a year older. But uh, my senior year... No, you know what? There was another guy a year younger than me who was also six seven. So no, I was never the tallest guy. Nice. Maybe nice. may the meanest, but never the tallest. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That works out. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny. This week, I was really looking forward to the guy who I had someone who was set to come on, motivational speaker, because I was like, man, it's going to be great to just talk about like non-controversial stuff for a minute, and then. And then he canceled, and I'm like, "Well, let's get Kevin in here. Let's just start, continue with the controversy." Because I got to tell you, what controversy. What? What do you mean? What, what controversy? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know, that's what that's what I I started this podcast. You know, I there are so many controversial issues that I don't I don't understand why they're controversies. People think differently, and if you sat down and instead of shouting at somebody and just saying like, "Oh, you're a hippie," "Oh, you're a racist," or whatever. If you just sat down and tried to, rather than listen to respond, but listen to understand, you might understand something about each other. And and the last podcast was, I tried so hard. It was it was actually kind of ta taxing on me. I was surprised at the response when I had Polyamorous Ruth on because um, I've never had so much of a response to a podcast. I mean, I'm, it's not like I've done a lot of these. I'm, this is my 17th, right? So it's not like I'm, I'm a pro, but... Um, but yeah, like I thought I was going to get a ton of feedback on Sean Kanan, you know, the Cobra Kai guy. Yeah. And, and that, and no, like that was the one I got. I, I, the, the wide range of visceral reactions was like so surprising. Not visceral in that they were all necessarily bad, but very strong. I had some people who were like, I very much identify with some of the things she was saying about church. Some people were like, I think that's total BS. You know, some some people were like with the polyamorous stuff. They were like, that just sounds insane. Some people were just very fascinated by it. And and, uh, you know, the interesting thing that the story I'll tell this is a little bit of inside baseball, but uh, about a half hour before. So Ruth was going to come on and come out on the podcast. And uh, 
about a half hour before she decided not to. And for me, I was like, I'm so happy that you didn't. <laughs> because like, I, I've known Ruth for a long time. I know her family. I know her kids. You know what I mean? And I was like, they're going to hear this, you know? And so I was like, I, so it took that element out of it. But the funny thing was, was just a few days ago, I got a message from her sister <laughs> and her sister goes, I heard your podcast. Pretty sure I know who that was. And my response six that, siblings in our family. <laughs> yeah, and I would, and my response was, my, my response was simply, I told Ruth that I would never tell anybody who she was. And so I'm going to keep that anonymity. And she's like, you don't have to tell me. I know it's her. And I played like it wasn't, you know, yeah. the whole time I just played. And I was like, I'm not going to say one way or the other, but it was really cool because at the beginning she was like, her reaction was a little strong. Like, and I said, well, and she'd only listened to like 20 minutes of it. And she was kind of like, should I continue to listen? Am I just going to get really angry? And I said, you know what? Like her, her situation, at least with her faith crisis stuff, that's not unique. Like you've heard it, Kevin. I mean, you, you and I are both Mormons. Like we've heard these stories. Yeah. It's it, that's the story she shares is not unique about some of the. No, but so can I can I mention something about the anger? Yeah. Just, just to touch on this, just uh, there, I heard something from a yogi the other day. I think he was a yogi, something like that. The huh? anger is the way we punish ourselves for stupid people's actions or other people's actions. Right. right? Right. So it's like the anger that the sister felt had nothing to do with her sister. It had to do with her, right? She was yeah. punishing herself for her sister's actions. Yeah. The anger needs to, but anyway, that's just an interesting take on that. When I think about people getting mad about other people's decisions, right? Yeah. Or how I'm mad that they're doing that, or, you know, it's like you're punishing yourself for no reason. Let that well, go. Well, when I, when I, when I, because we, we messaged for a little while back and forth yeah. and when, when it would, it, it came to down to her just simply saying like, I was there, you know, for her childhood. And like, I don't think that that's what really happened. And I go, well, you know, and I, and I don't think I said it in this way, but I was like, you know, maybe your experience was different and maybe you don't think that that's reality, but for her, that experience was very real. Right. And so if you listen to continue to listen, I was like, after you get past the faith crisis stuff, it does get a little wild. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something you're used to hearing. Right. And and so I was like, but I think if you listen to it and she's like, and so as she listened, as she continued to listen, she sent me another message and she said, I appreciate how kind you were to my sister and that you were allowed her to tell her story. Because, look, there was stuff I didn't agree with in her story. And her and I have had offline conversations about some of the things I don't agree with, but I didn't, it wasn't about me. Right. It was about her story. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and what I, but at the very end, the, the last message I got from her was I called my sister. She's on a, she's, I don't know, on a trip or something. And she's like, we set up a time and we're going to talk. And when we talk, I'm just going to try to listen and understand where she's coming from and tell her that I love her. And I found out that at least in her perspective, they, a few years ago, for whatever reason, Ruth started voicing some concerns about church and then stepped away from the relationship. Like they weren't talking very much. So I was sitting there and I was thinking about it. I go, you know what? Like if that conversation happens, 
I don't care what else happens with this podcast. Like that was a success, right? Yep. Because the whole purpose of this podcast is to get people to talk to people about experiences that they otherwise wouldn't talk to and try to understand where they're coming from. And the reason I bring that up is because I did not expect the reaction to you coming on. <laughs> that I, also got. I got a lot of questions. Most of them were joking, like, how dare you? Or like, you know, like, or, or like, a, why are you the way that you are, you know, um, with like the little office gif or whatever. But, um, but we had some good questions, too. And, and so this is one that I think people are going to be really interested about. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully I can make it interesting. <laughs> yes, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. I think you can. Well, there's a reason I picked you. You know, like we've had <clears throat> one of the things that just before we get into your background, one of the things that I find interesting about you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but like I knew a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump, but they kind of like held their nose when they were doing it. You know, like they weren't super excited about it, but they're like, well, we don't want Hillary. You know, we don't want Joe Biden. So they voted for him. But you... You seem to like really be excited about voting for Donald Trump, even in 2016, when it yeah. like in 2016, a lot of people were kind of like, uh, I don't know, you know, because he had no experience at all. Um, I felt like the people who were voting for Donald Trump in 2020 were way more excited about it than they were in 2016. I think I think so. Yeah, I think. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Think, so, yeah. Well, so. Uh, going back, I mean, tr do we want to talk about Trump? We can talk. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, we're going to talk about Trump. Yeah. But so like um, I, I was in 2016, just as kind of he wasn't my first choice on hmm. the Republican ticket. Hmm. Um, it, I guess it was in 2015 because because before there was a Trump, there was like 15 Republican candidates. Right. Yeah, that was a fascinating. Yeah, it was supposed to be the best that Republicans could offer. Right. Okay. Right. Um, but I really liked Ben Carson. Right. So oh, Ben yeah. Carson uh, was a, a neurosurgeon, um, and he gave a talk at the pre. He was invited by President Obama to give a talk at the, a prayer breakfast. It was our speech at the prayer breakfast, and I don't think that President Obama at the time knew what he was getting into because it was one of the greatest like conservative speeches like ever. It like. It, it just launched Ben Carson onto the scene and everyone's like, whoa, who is this guy? Anyway, so I, I was attracted to him. I thought he was brilliant. He was mild mannered. He was super articulate. And just, I was like, gosh, he's going to bring something different. So that was my guy in 2015. I was behind. Okay. Hmm. But little by little, who is this? Trump's not real, right? No one thought Trump was real. Right. Nobody thought Trump was real. Right. No, I, I certainly sudden, didn't. No, yeah. I didn't think Trump was real until all of a sudden he started gaining ground and you're kind of listening. You start thinking about it like, OK, I'm tired of all these politicians like everyone's so slimy and mm -hmm. political. This is my perspective now. I just was like what I want something different, like, which is why I wanted Ben Carson um, and Trump's different. I like he's a businessman. I like that he's not a politician. Um, I like that. He seems to speak his mind. And it seemed like he had a way of communicating to the common man that all these other refined politicians, maybe I think Obama really spoke really well to the common man too. But like a lot of people, Hillary missed it. I think George Bush's missed it. Um, they couldn't really connect. 
uh, McCain couldn't connect. Romney couldn't connect with the the com common man. Uh, uh, I don't think Ted Cruz could. So all these candidates couldn't really weren't connecting. But Trump, he 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 could strike a chord where people could kind of understand him, right? Yeah. And um, so that's what intrigued me and got me going, kind of looking at him uh, a little closer uh, mm -hmm. as another alternative. Also, man, hey, I like winners, right? <laughs> yeah, I like winners. You know who no, I like a winner. I can't remember who it was that I that I was listening to. It, it was an African American radio host, and he was talking about like this is during the 2016 election, and he was saying he 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 said he goes, I think that Donald Trump can actually win more of the black vote than people take him credit for, for give him credit for. And, and they were asking why, and he goes, because I don't think people realize. That his like machismo, his his assertiveness, the bravado, way he attacks, yeah. the bravado, that appeals to like young black men. And and he actually and had a higher men. Yeah, and he well. and That's he huge. Yeah. He I think he had a higher percentage of those votes than any Republican before him, at least for a while. Yeah. yeah you know, the funny it's funny you bring that up because I remember the first the first when he announced he was running in 2016 his speech was ran as a joke because he just was like right. he just talked about building the wall right and he was saying he's like and he's talking about all the people coming over he's like the rapists and murderers and he's like and some are good people <laughs> you know and it was yeah. like this guy's not going well, anywhere yeah. this is a joke yeah. you know yeah. right. right 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 yeah um yeah that was a big thing too like uh border security that's always been a problem like mm -hmm. it's always it's been a problem since from Reagan on, it's it yeah. been a problem that, that people have been saying they're going to try and fix, right? It's probably been a problem ever since we've had a country, but it's been a problem that everyone's going to try and fix. And then this guy comes up and said, I have the fix. Let's build a wall. Nancy Pelosi, around your house, what do you have? A wall. Or maybe you don't have a wall because people can just walk in and attack your husband with hammers. But uh, <laughs> that example, I guess. But, you know, all these people who, who want to be secure have walls around the house. Hey, we want to be secure in America. Let's have walls. Let's put the wall up. Let's let all the good people in and just have a vetting process. Right. On the surface, in my mind, that doesn't seem crazy. Mm -hmm. But what happened was the media spun that as, ah, he's a racist. He doesn't like brown people. Obviously, did you hear him? He wants to build the wall. He doesn't like brown people. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the narrative that was spun. And so... Oh, he doesn't like the, the 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 wall. All of a sudden, became a symbol of racism, and then anything that Trump did then became a symbol of racism. And this hat right here mm -hmm. became a symbol of racism. And that hat says "Make America Great Again" for crying out loud. So anyway, that that was a a real like problem that I have with the media. Right? I'm mm -hmm. like, why are you going after? Why? I believe that racism is terrible. I, racism is awful, but I think racism is a small problem. Hmm. And that's why I'm listen. Coming from full disclosure, I'm a white male. Okay, we can we <laughs> so can see I've that. I've experienced yeah. very very little racism in my life. I can't mm -hmm. say I've experienced some. I can tell you about that, um, but it's very little. And it's so like even to share that, it feels like so stupid because I have friends who've experienced real racism, mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. real racism, um, and it's not on a daily basis, but sometimes it's on a daily basis. And yeah. so, um, but my point was, it's not my personal opinion, not one of the top 50 issues that our country is facing, right? There's a lot That's of other really, 
really important issues. It's maybe the top 50. Maybe it is, you know, and it's an issue that we all need to keep working on. But it's not, it's not one of those issues that um, is plaguing like our kids in school. I don't think, I think we have other issues. Like we, we need to talk about this addiction that we all have to these stupid things, you know, oh, no, we can't, we can't put them down. Our kids can't put them down. You see a group of, a group of girls, uh, college girls going out to a party, right? They're with their best friends. They're walking down the street, but what are they all doing? They're not talking. They're going like this. D did anyone like my post? Did anyone like my clip? I think we're missing this connectivity in America, in the world. We're missing this face-to-face, -face, this this uh, ability to like, one, voice our opinion, and two, hear other people's opinion face-to-face. -face. We, we're missing that. We're, and so we're, we're becoming more and more disconnected the more and more connected we are on social media. And this brings bring me around to your point, why you started this podcast is to get people talking because it's an issue because they're not. Because it's right. so easy to feel like you're connected because you're scrolling your feed and you can see all your friends. And so you feel like you're connected when in reality, in reality, we're losing the ability to connect. We're, we're forgetting how to make those personal connections. And believe me, I'm not great at that either. I'm terrible at it. I'm only saying this as like someone who knows I have a problem and need to work on it too. But yeah. I think, um, well, I think that, that those are the more, more, more pressing issues. And I think racism maybe. Well, I think that it's made out to be. Well, and I think we're going to we're going to definitely talk about that. You know, we're going to get into that, uh, I think, in context to the NBA Black Lives Matter situation. Yeah. No. But no, I think you raise a good point here. And the good point that I think you just raised is, you know, people say things on social media that they would never say to your face. Right. Like I, I've had, had people say things to me in a direct message on Facebook. I, I'll tell a story. There was a dude sent me a message and like he was upset with me i won't disclose what it was about but he was he was unhappy with me and he sent me a message i was at a king's game and i was floored like that he even said it to the point where i just sent a message back and i said i'm not, i don't play this game where you want to meet when do you want to meet we'll sit down <laughs> you know what i mean and he actually said i'll meet you and i said okay tell me where you want to meet and so we met in Folsom and I just sat there and waited for him nice as could be as he could be and you know didn't say it wasn't yeah in person it's nice and I I sat him down I go hey man so I'll let you say whatever you want to say and then I I'm going to respond and we did and we had a cordial conversation and at the end I go now here's the thing next time I get a message like that it will not be cordial the next time we sit down okay I was like, you got a problem with me? Fair enough, I'll hear you out. But that's the type of thing, right? That, that was an example to me. People are saying all these terrible things, calling people all these terrible names, going after their jobs and doing these things. When I bet if they sat down and really had a real conversation about what their concerns were, I think they'd see we're all a little more the same than we are different. Um, it, that's We're so similar. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like, I, I love you ever watch uh, or listen to the Joe Rogan experience. Oh yeah. Like my sure. I love Joe Rogan. And so he brings on a lot of interesting gifts, uh, uh, guests and, and people from, from different cultures, different walks of life. And, and one of the things that, that I, I've, that's been revealed to me on that is how similar just humans are, whether they're in Africa or whether they're in Canada or Mexico, wherever they are in the world. I mean, we're the same. 
We yeah. love our families. We have our friends. We have our jokes. Um, you know, we 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 want to take care of uh, our things. But like the things that 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 we have in common are so much more core to ourselves and to really who we are than the things that are different about mm-hmm. us, right? Mm-hmm. The things that I think that are different about us is like, oh, you like blue, I like red. Like that that's not as big of an issue as like, I believe in a strong nuclear family, right? To me, that's super important uh, that, that I can be a patriarch in my family, that I can be the head of my family, I can lead and guide and, and, and raise my family. Like that is a theme across the world that fathers all can can say that we will unite behind, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what the percentages of fathers that feel that way. I'd say it's 80 to 90%. Mm-hmm. We could say we have that in common and that's a core belief to to ourselves, right? And I, I know I could differ for myself and say that, yeah, that's 100%. Like I take great ownership in my children and, and making sure yeah. that they're taken care of yeah. and they're raised right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that is your responsibility, right? Do yeah. you believe that's your responsibility? I mean, is it oh. your sacred responsibility to do that? I believe it's mine, like right. as, a, as a father, like I brought these kids in. It's my sacred obligation to raise them and protect them and make sure they do the right thing. So that's core to my belief. And I think that when we start with those types of core values and beliefs and we build, oh, I believe that. Oh, I believe that too. We find out that these people that you might have political differences with really are so much more like you. Mm-hmm. you know than, than you thought so just um well the other thing that talking, i found we're not we're not talking yeah well you know <laughs> you know i think that uh, another thing that's really interesting about that too i remember having a conversation about just the concept of personal responsibility um you know because one of the things that that and i and i, I tend to agree a little bit with uh with the, some of my more liberal friends is that you know there are some people who are in bad spots that it's not necessarily their fault, and I agree with that, right? I agree with those things, and uh, and certainly there are things that should be done to help help them. But in the end, I think what's what I found so fascinating really is is that the two people who I were t- I was talking to about this were people that came from affluent families and like had all the advantages. And I was like, well, wait a minute, hold on a second. Like, I find it really interesting that you're saying like, oh, these poor, poor people who need a hand up. Like I came from one of those lower middle class, sometimes upper lower class families. You know what I mean? That really, really struggled. And I don't believe the same as you. I was actually in the trenches. You know what I mean? You were looking, you were watching the trenches you know, and yeah. I, and I was able to, I was able to do it. You know what I mean? And I think there are a lot more people who could, and yeah, there, I wish I had more advantages and I think we should give those, but there is a level of personal responsibility that I think you are not taking account of, but, but, uh, Isn't but I, interesting that, that the perspective of someone who you'd be maybe hard pressed to find this perspective that someone who had came from nothing clawed and worked and got their way to become successful, made their dream, right? And there were no easy way. It was only the hard way. It was the only way they could get there. And then that person deciding that, you know what? Let's make it an easy way so they all these people could skip the step and just get right to where I am, 
right? You'd be like, no, because you are who you are because of the hard things you did and not everyone got there, right? That's what make that's what makes getting to where you want to be or where you're going. You know, I hope that you haven't reached your end, right? You're only where you are now. So right. but you are where you are now because of all the hard things and not yeah. everyone has got their people fell down along the wayside or they quit, they gave up. And if you make it easy on the next guy, you're doing them a disservice and everyone else who comes back behind them because they're not getting the same benefit of the things that you learned when you got there. You yeah. Know? You know, that's, it's funny because I actually think about that with my kids. Like I, I had to claw and, and, and get there. And then I've, I've gotten there and I've kind of painted up, I've already kind of set up a path for them they're not clawing like I did. And I've had this conversation. I've had this conversation. I just had this conversation, part of a long conversation I just had with my oldest son uh, just last night, where I was just kind of like, dude, I don't know where you're going to find that grit. You know what I mean? Because like there were so many, I really learned what I was made of when I had to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like there was no other yeah. choice. Like I, I didn't have a safety net. So it was like sink or swim. And so I figured out I could swim. I don't in some of those places, I don't think I could have figured out I could swim if I didn't have to. And he's not going right. to have to. You know what I mean? And so it's like so I, 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 I talked to him quite a bit. I'm like, dude, I don't know where you're going to get to that extra gear because I didn't I didn't get there until I needed it. So if you never need it, you never old need adage. It. it's the old adage that hard times make hard men, hard men make good times. And good times make weak men. Yeah. And then weak men make and hard times. Weak men yeah. make hard times. Right? <laughs> yeah. So this is the circle. Yeah. So dang it. Like I come from, I, 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 like you, uh, I came from a low, lower class family. My mom uh, was divorced, single mom. We were um, very dependent on welfare, but it, it wasn't government welfare. It was church welfare. Um, mm. So luckily there was that safety net for our family or, you know, I don't know what there would have been if we didn't have that, but we, we got food from the church. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I remember filling out the, with my mom, filling out how many loaves of bread and how many gallons of milk and how much blocks of cheese and, you know, whatever we, all the canned food. Um, but that's where we live, man. I never got to have Jiffy, man. Jiffy peanut butter. We had this peanut butter came from a can. They had this like oil, level, like an inch of oil on top, and you had to like mix it all in. Like I was like, "What is this? You try and put, you try, you try and make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that stuff. It like tears the bread. It's right. you know, such. Anyway, so you grew up growing up like that, right? You, you know, you, you we struggle. You know, you can't. You come from that. You come to now where. Um, now we're tucked away in a little pocket of Northern California with nice weather, with good jobs in a uh, middle-class neighborhood. And our kids have it easy. Our yeah. kids have it way too easy. Everything, uh, you know, Christmas just came. Everyone gets everything for Christmas, but yeah. did they already, did they need anything? No, because they already had everything. It's just like yeah. stuff. But um, yeah, I'm glad I don't have boys, I guess. Because you know, sorry about that. Um, you, you have an old, uh, your oldest son. He's what, seventeen? He's sixteen. Sixteen. Yeah. I have a fifteen-year-old daughter. We should introduce them. Yeah, I guess we should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, well, well, like I said before, you know, there's a reason why I picked you for this, and that is because 
you know, I said, I told you offline, like I have a lot of friends who are, who are Democrats who just, they view Trump supporters as like these, these poor coal miners in the Midwest that like, you know, married their cousins and, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, and, and just, they just love Donald Trump because they, they Wait, didn't know anything. Did you know Debbie and I were cousins? <laughs> oh yeah. I got <laughs> we actually are like 11th cousins twice removed or something like that. Oh, you went through the family situation. Yeah, that's kind of weird. But I think it's only through marriage, only through marriage. No, yeah. there's no bloodline. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Luckily we're not. But no, I'm not one of those. Um but uh well, I guess I could kind of tell you how I came to be me. Yeah, know, well that's what I want to ask. So so what I yeah. do know about you, uh, you know, it's funny as I was getting through this, I was really like, like I don't actually I, friend Kevin, you've been friends with we've been friends for what, 20 years. And yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't think we've ever really talked about, like, where you came from. I know you played ball in college. Where did you play in college? So I played first at Wenatchee Valley College, which was a little community college in Wenatchee. Uh -huh. uh, and then so I played there for two years. And then my coach is like, where do you want to play uh, next? And I'll, yeah, I wasn't recruited out of JUCO, right? He's just right. like, where do you want to go? And so my girlfriend was going to this college in Oregon, this George Fox University. So I said, George Fox and this other university Pacific, and I'll go on this little tour down there. And he, he made the connection. I went on the little tour and Pacific came through and said they wanted me. So I ended up going to Pacific university for my junior and senior year. So oh, okay. All that's right. in, that's in Forest Grove, Oregon. Okay. And then did you, you graduated, right? Yep. Graduated. Yep. What's your, and, what's your degree uh, in? English lit with a minor in coaching. Nice. Okay. What was your plan with that? Yeah. So my plan was a college professor, college basketball coach, kind of get in, get into coaching, teach on the side. And then the goal was to go full on into coaching. Nice. Like, and make that a career. Uh -huh. um, I loved coaching. Um, right out of college, uh, I got hired on at the local high school in Forest Grove. Um, First in the spring, it was, uh, first in the spring to, to coach the varsity on like a like a spring league because the high school coaches couldn't do it or whatever some rules, uh, and then in the summer to take the freshman team uh, and the junior varsity to like basketball camp, and then they hired me on uh, as the head JV coach there. Uh, so I coached there for a year, and that's when I was like, oh my gosh, coaching is the next best thing, man. Like if you can't be competing. Coaching is it because yeah. you're in some ways more involved, but other ways not as involved, but mm -hmm. um, you, you kind of have your hands on, on all the levers, you know, so it, it's kind of exciting uh, in a different way than actually playing. Next best thing, I think. So, no, I got, um, I got so that's what that was. What, go ahead. I was going to say my my coaching experience doesn't go that far. I I've coached my kids through my boys through school and dude, it just it. it my blood pressure just boils. I, I, cause I was competitive. I mean, I didn't, you know, I went on a mission soon right after my college. I know you went on a mission later and after you'd finished, yeah. Yeah. but uh, I went out right after. And when I came back, I had to work. So I didn't, you know, I didn't do the junior college route or anything like that, but, uh, but I play, I, you know, I competed pretty heavily and, and man, when I see the kids now and like, you know, there, it's a different deal because they're, you know, when we were kids, we were always out playing basketball just with our yeah. buddies, and they're all kind of sitting inside playing video games, right? So they they come in in fourth grade, and they, half of them have never played the basketball before in their lives. And so you're sitting there, and you're just like, I, I found myself screaming at refs and just like, 
You know what I mean? I just was like that guy. <laughs> I couldn't imagine that. No, no. I never, I never, ever swore at refs. Or yelled at refs. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so yeah, that was uh, tough. But So you wanted to be a coach. Um, and yeah, then, so, yeah, go ahead. But uh, that didn't really work well. So, my, so let, let's, let's go back a little bit. I was uh, the son of an opera singer and a wheat farmer. Okay. That's kind of my duality there. So um, my mom professionally trained opera singer Um, in 1981. She went to the Metropolitan Opera, which is like they have an annual competition and she actually won her region. Right. As a mezzo, as a mezzo soprano. So uh, she's done operas all over the country. She's traveled all over the world. Like she's great, like very high level opera singer. So I was always exposed to this high level of, sophistication class kind of elegance um on one side right um and then my dad he's a wheat farmer in eastern washington so there's the kind of the down-to-earth kind of you know pick yourself up by your bootstraps uh if it hurts rub some dirt on it and get going right Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the the duality uh, of my childhood but my parents divorced when i was young i was like four years old uh, three, three years old when they divorced. And so uh, my mom moved down to California. My dad was in Washington. And so um, and that's hence the single poor mom. Um, then my mom got remarried um, and was married to him for four years. He was abusive. He was a jerk. Um, mm-hmm. Got an awesome little sister out of the deal. Um, but everything else was pretty much garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so learned that was a really hard time about like formative years, like uh third grade through seventh grade, I think are really formative years. And those are really hard um, with, you know, abusive stepdad and just kind of being poor and, um, you know, missing my dad. As a little kid with divorced parents, you always wish that your parents would get back to get married. You don't really understand, you know, things. Sure. Um, so I was had that, you know, wanted my parents to get back together and then stepdad is mean. And um, I think I was like an angry child. I, I used to get in fights a lot. Um, didn't really know how to like express myself well. So I just get mad and fight. Um, and, uh, you know, turned that into, as I got older, um, uh, moved up to Washington when my brother and I were old enough, we decided we were going to do better for us to move to Washington, um, with my dad. And then, which in some, in some sense really was great because we got out of California uh, in kind of, we were a big city. Like I said, um, when I went, at the, when I started, my high school had 120 kids. Well, I came from though, uh, my, my junior high when I was in seventh grade was 715 kids, just wow. seventh and eighth grade. Right. And right. I was in, in Petaluma. And so coming from like big school, we're like, you're kind of nobody, you, you know, you don't really know that many people going up to Washington where it's like, well, Hey, now, you know, everybody, right? Like everybody knows you and not just the the kids, but people in the community and everyone knows you. And guess what? You're tall. You have any bit of athletic ability. You're going to play football, basketball, and baseball. Right. Because that's what we do. Um, I remember being recruited as a freshman. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, that's, so that's what you do. So that was great because then I'm able to take that anger, take that frustration and focus into sports. And it's like, and then, so all through high school, it's, just sports, sports, sports. Um, but I'm living with my dad, who's a wheat farmer, away from my mom, who, you know, and so more of the conservative kind of mm. 
outlook is kind it, it is is uh growing on me right? right because as a kid actually um as a kid i didn't know anything about politics my first uh I, the first election i remember was when reagan beat mondale and it was like a landslide but i remember it i remember yeah. it being a big deal i've always kind of been interested in politics and when i was in fourth grade i think i was in fourth grade i remember uh, my stepdad and my mom were um were fans of michael dukakis yeah right my dad so, was too. My dad was yeah, so, too. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a that was a thing. So they were Michael Dukakis fans. And I didn't know anything about it, but I just remember every single day we used to have to write for like five minutes every single day in fourth grade, and I would always write like, "Oh, the quail was in the bush and got you know shot up." Always like some of these little puns about George Bush and Dan Quayle. Right. I just remember being politically interested and, and just writing about this, even though I really didn't have any insight as to what I was talking about. Looking back now, I'm like, gosh, what was I thinking? But but anyway, I, I knew I was interested in politics, even if I didn't really like fully grasp it at all. Um, and so uh, in Washington, our uh, in eastern Washington, our representative for the House of Representatives was Tom Foley. Mm. So I don't know if you remember, Tom Foley was Speaker of the House and he was a Democrat. And hmm. so it was a weird thing where it was like my dad would be like, well, we're Republican, but we like Tom Foley because he has a lot of power and he represents our district. And so it was kind of this like the D didn't matter that much. Right. It was more like right. he could help us out. And so it was like, OK, so I learned a little bit, even though my dad is a you know pretty conservative, they just like he's open minded about stuff like that. So it was like, OK, you didn't have to be completely close minded. So go to college and um, JUCO, I don't remember getting into a lot of deep philosophical, political conversations, but definitely at Pacific I did because that's when I feel like I was exposed. Uh, I kind of branched out from the jocks that I was hanging out with into more just like people, finding friends. Who are the people that I like connect with? What years were these people? So uh, I was in college from 97 to 01. Okay, so this this would have been during the the 2000 election, the big the real yes. close one between yeah, uh, right. between Bush and um, and Gore, uh, yeah, Gore, yeah, Gore, yeah. So that, that, right, so very political, a heated political environment. So it's great for conversations, and and me coming from a right leaning background was definitely in the minority, but I didn't know it. I didn't right. have any idea. I just thought that you know it was probably 50-50. Right. I just because in, in high school, it was about 50 50, you know, with the people you talked with. Some are right. Some are left. My high school may be a little more right just because it's you know very small towny. But there were a lot of liberals in my school. Like we, we, we talked. So when I went to college, I thought it was about 50 50. Found out I was in the extreme minority um, just when we'd be in groups kind of talking and I would throw out my opinion and be like, what? Right. <laughs> you think what? Um, and so I remember like, um, the, uh, enjoying college and to put it one way, and then just writing poetry about, uh, because I was a lit major about these different conversations, you know, and, you know, I remember wow, one kind of prose I was writing, like, um, communist or socialist, what is the difference? And it was like, um, inspired by this conversation I had with this guy, you know, who mm -hmm. was pro-socialist. And I was, I'd never spoken to anyone in my life before who was pro-socialist. And so mm -hmm. it was very like, 
eye-opening and enlightening for me. So college, uh, especially at Pacific, was great for me to kind of get the full perspective. I didn't really have the full perspective from the right and the left. And I probably still don't. Um, but at least from my own little world, I was able to really talk to some people who I respected and cared about and who were really smart, who had totally different opinions than me. And we were able to just communicate back and forth respectfully. So that was great for me. I learned it was possible in college to do that. Yeah. You um, know, what's interesting about that. So you, you, you went to school from 97 to 01. I did it a little yeah. differently. I went on my mission in 2000, came back in 2002 and went to school after. And I had a very similar experience. I'm actually a government major, which is Sac State's poli sci major. And what I found so interesting, I was, I, I lean conservative. I think I'm a moderate conservative. Um, uh, so nobody likes me. Uh, and, uh, and, and the thing, that, yeah, right. <laughs> the, thing that, the thing that was so interesting to me though, was that there were, they were in the minority, but there were some very staunch Republicans. And then there were also some very, very staunch liberals and they we had open community like open conversations from both sides argument get they would get heated right mm -hmm. but at the end everybody would just shake hands and be cool mm -hmm. i mean this was in the middle of the iraq war the WNPs. Yeah. so i mean you know it was heated i mean there was a lot yeah. of stuff. environmental stuff abortion was big this was right at the beginning of the discussion of of uh, same gender marriage and and the LGBTQ, you know, lobbies beginning, yeah, like all of all of them are <laughs> becoming a part of it. So we had all of that, and and everybody could have conversations, which surprises me now that like people can't that that people they they just start shouting at each other. And man, I'm the same way. Like I. I feel like I took classes in communism, socialism. I took I took classes in, you know, in uh, in uh, and it wasn't called republicanism, but that's basically what it was, right? I mean, <laughs> conservatism, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, they talked okay, about yeah. all of these different things, and uh, and I got a view. I really feel like I generally understood the landscape of our political, you know, our political landscape of, of America. And I wouldn't have gotten that if everybody was just shouting down all of the people who believed one way. You see, right. and so, yeah. um, so it's really interesting. Now, you you uh, so you go to you go to school. Yeah, when so I come out of there. I think kind of galvanized with my beliefs. It wasn't like they were shaken because I felt like they were uh, through a refiner's fire. Yeah, um, because I was in the minority and I was constantly having to explain why I believed, why I believed, and, and hearing why their opinion on why I shouldn't. Um, and, and a lot of times I, I, I like to argue. Like as a kid, I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be Josh Edlow when I grew up. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I, didn't, I didn't make that because I, I like to argue. And a lot of times I just like to argue because I want to get to the bottom of a point. I want right. to get to the truth on something. And so a lot of times I'll kind of lean into an argument that I don't really believe in to see if the person on the other side has the the wherewithal to convince me of yeah. the other side or this side you know what i mean so i want to push that i want to test your resolve or i want to test your uh your beliefs do you really believe how much do you believe in can you can you give me a compelling reason that maybe will help me uh rethink mine or even better yet convince me over to yours 
And yeah. so I, I like to kind of play devil's advocate on different things to to see maybe I can switch switch sides. And so I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I like to argue. Went to college, got a lot of that back and forth, and felt like came out like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is these are the things I believe. So that that's actually a, a good uh, way of discussing freedom of speech. You know, the thing that I that I have always believed, and I still believe this, even even if there are um, things on both sides, whether it's whether it's the on the left, on the right, whatever you want to say, uh, that I've vehemently disagree with. But I believe that if you let people talk, that eventually the best argument wins, right? Like whatever the best, most logical argument is, it wins. So, you know, if you got somebody who's a blatant racist, not like actual Nazi talking these things, okay, that is low level speech. It's not going to win. Even if it gets, right. a, even if it gets a few more people in there, in the end, it's not going to win out. The best argument is always going to win. So yeah, again, I this shouting people down. The thing that really, I think, concerns me about that is it's not like shouting down somebody is ever going to make their opinions go away. It's just going to bottle them up inside, and you're never going to understand where it comes from. Or have the opposite effect. Well, why why won't why won't they let him talk? Who is this guy? Let me look into him. What and then could cause more people to actually hear what that person has to say by looking them up online or listening to their podcasts or whatever, just because they're like, why, why can't I hear, you know what I mean? What's so dangerous about that? Now I'm intrigued. It's the married with children effect. You remember married with children. Oh yeah. For for you youngins who might be listening to this married with children, the Fox network was about to go bankrupt. And married with children was like the number, like 10 out of 10, in the ratings when it had first started. And then some uh, a conservative woman wrote a letter because there was an episode was too uh, too smutty in her mind. So she wrote a, a letter out there saying, we don't want this on our TVs, you need to shut it down. And it got big stream news. And the next thing you know, everybody wanted to watch Married with Children. And then Married with Children <laughs> just turned up the smut. <laughs> turned in to watch and then and it built that plus the simpsons basically like built the fox yep. network into what it is today so you know her her idea of turning up the idea of this smuttiness actually ended up saving fox network you know yeah. and that's you know so so yeah not interesting yeah it yeah. is yeah so that's you true. um so so now you're, so was your? It sounds like then at least your mom and your stepdad were Democrats. Your dad was a Republican. So yeah, my dad's Republican, but he said uh, he told me because again he wasn't super political or politically mm-hmm. interested. He said the last time he had voted, maybe it was the first time he had voted, was also the last he voted for Nixon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said that was the last time. I'm done with that, right? I think he he just wasn't that uh, politically interested to uh, put in the time to vote, it, which sounds kind of weak in, in my mind because I'm very patriotic and vote every time and like I, it's my duty and all that. Um, so it's kind of weak that he, he was too busy to do it, but he, he's out on a tractor 12 hours a day, you know what I mean? Like he's trying to worry about crops coming up the next year and, and things like that. Sure. So and making sure to fill out a ballot that, you know, 
probably the stuff's not going to impact him too much. Um, maybe it wasn't a big priority. So making a little bit of uh, being a little bit of an apologist for him on that. Um, um, so yeah, he was Republican, I guess, but didn't really vote. And my mom and my stepdad, but they divorced like when I, it, it, when, uh, they were only married like four or five years, but he was, I guess, Democrat. My mom, I always thought was Republican. And, and then turns out she, she did. So I think the, the Dukakis thing was this kind of like a fluke, um, for her, or maybe it's just, you know, she liked the candidate. Um, but now she's very staunch Republican. Now I'd say you're, you're stereotypical mm, Republican, I guess. No, um, interesting. Conservative woman, maybe a, a bit closed-minded. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I hope you're not watching, Mom. <laughs> uh, a bit judgmental. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the, I, I, listen. I that's not a. I guess I shouldn't say that. That's not a conservative or liberal thing. Being judgmental. I think that's just a human thing um, that that uh, we all need to work on. So. Uh, obviously, sorry, mom. <laughs> is, your, your mom, is your mom a, a member of the of the Mormon Church as well? Yeah, my mom is. Yeah, she was uh, baptized when she was fourteen years old. Oh, okay. So, but um, but her mom, uh, my grandma, uh, has pioneer heritage. So oh, we wow. came across like uh, with the pioneers across the West to settle um, settle the West. So that's kind of that's kind of cool. So even though my mom was a convert. Her, her mom wasn't, her mom was yeah. baptized, you know, eight years old and, and things like that. So, um, but yeah, my mom's, it's, it's interesting. I was going to say, it's interesting how I'm, I'm very similar. I'm kind of similar to you in that my mom has pioneer heritage that goes all the way back, you know? Um, but my dad is Jewish, you know, and, and he converted, you know, my, the way I always describe it is, is he got baptized when I was, when I was four, but he converted, uh, when I was 18, you know, he really became like, I came back from my mission and I was like, who is this guy where dad was sitting? You know, he's a completely different person. And, um, and so, uh, so yeah, it's interesting how, when you have this kind of different view, like you, you are exposed to, all <clears throat> uh, you, you tend to not be as judgmental. You may have strong opinions. Like I have strong opinions too, but you're willing to hear out other opinions you know what i mean i feel like i was i've definitely become way less judgmental the more i've matured the more i've um been exposed to different people and different yeah. experiences right um mm -hmm. it helps you um being less being more empathetic uh helps you be less judgmental and so that's uh, i think coming a little bit with age and a little bit um which is the reflection that one makes as they get older on, on how they treat people, what they, you know, what kind of person they want to be. Um, yeah. So. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? Like, I don't know if this is for you cause you're 43, 42. Yeah. 43, okay. Yeah. 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 So I'll, I'll, be, I'll be 42 and not too long. And uh, it's so interesting how my views on my dad, my mom, my dad and I had a real rocky upbringing, like for me, and just because of some of the the choices he made that were not so so great, and um, and so we really struggled. Our relationship struggled, and over the course of time, as I got older, it got way better. We're great now. He's one of my like I talk to him all the time, but it's so interesting now in the spot I'm in now as a father with teenage kids, like. 
I have a completely different view of that time. Like I was just, I was talking about, I had this just gigantically long conversation with my son yesterday, a real deep one. It was really, it was really special to me. I hope it was special to him, but like, but sometimes I wonder if he's just like, okay, dad. Great. <laughs> but, like, but, but I was sitting there and I was telling him, I'm like, man, like the things that he had to go through, the things that he, like his upbringing and where he came from, it's a, no wonder he struggled. And imagine the pressure that, I mean, you probably feel this a little bit too, like, you know, he he worked so hard, regardless of what he was doing on the side. He worked so hard all the way through, and then he had a blip about six to eight weeks. And just in six to eight weeks, like, boom, everything's gone. You know what I mean? And it's just like, imagine that pressure, you know? And I, and I tried to tell my son that, and I'm like, imagine the pressure that that is. Like, that's the pressure of a, of a father who is – all that's you're it you're it for finances you know what i mean like you're the guy and you're the one who everybody's relying on imagine the pressure that you could be hit by a bus and everything's over for everybody you know that's a struggle yeah. it's just so interesting how back you know I, I look back and i wish i would have thought about this back then when i was so angry at him you know it just it's interesting how that that plays out anyway that's an aside yeah Here's a, here's a question that came from a listener. Okay. Are there any policies that you think Democrats are right on? Oh, yeah. There's tons of policies Democrats are right on. Let's see. Um, you know, I think that uh, let's, let's start with some easy stuff. Um, women's rights. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, easy. LGBT rights. Easy. You know, mm -hmm. absolutely. Everyone yeah. should have e equal rights as a human, right? right. Um, where we get crazy now, where we could get crazy is when we decide, when we talk about women's rights, <laughs> what is a woman, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. So that's where we can get crazy. We, we, we have, whose rights are we stepping on here? Are we stepping on the women who were born women or the women who are saving their women? Whose rights are more important? So that's where it gets crazy but where where i agree is yeah absolutely um there should be equity of opportunity for everyone like everyone mm -hmm. should have an equal opportunity to succeed now there's a distinction between an equal opportunity right and an equal outcome mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right don't believe in the equal outcome that's a distinction so one of the things i believe on um and maybe liberals agree on this that everyone should have an equal opportunity i would guess that everyone agrees that yes Equal, uh, equal opportunity is, is something we can agree on. And then the, 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 the distinction is the, the equal outcome. Right. No, because not everyone puts in the same amount of effort. Not everyone has the same amount of skills or, uh, you know. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's life. necessarily true because I think that some, not all, but I do think there are some conservatives that don't even necessarily believe in equal equality of opportunity. Maybe they agree in equality of the law, right? Like you have the equality of law, but... But if you're in a worse position than somebody else, I mean, that's just, that just breaks. You got to work, you know, pull yourself up. No, okay, so that's right. So, okay, let's talk about equal opportunity. So that would be like you and I both or whoever, regardless if you're a man, woman, black, white, green, we all have the opportunity to apply for a loan, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We all have the opportunity to apply to college, mm -hmm. right? That's an equal opportunity. We all have the opportunity to um uh you know apply to jobs 
Mm -hmm. right? Those are opportunities that we all have that if some people have them and others don't, then they're that that's in my mind, a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Where, where if you're not allowed certain opportunities, not allowed, right? It's not mm -hmm. like there's a difference between there just aren't any opportunities. Like I don't, I can't find a job because there's no jobs offered, right? There's no opportunities there, but, um, to limit opportunities based on one's status, whatever that may be, race, marital, sex preference, whatever it is, that's a problem, right? Limiting, limiting opportunity. So I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk to whoever it is that says that they, they don't believe in an equal opportunity. They don't believe in equal opportunity for all. Sure. Right? That, that, that's the problem that that's where we run into, you know, racism. You can find uh, sure. where people are, are uh, maybe, uh, you know, abusing their power. Uh, sure. Well, I think, I think it's more, I think what I'm getting at is some people like, for example, equal equality of opportunity means, yeah, like you should have an equal opportunity to the same equal education as someone else. So if one school is not doing as great as another school, we should be able to give that person a better, you know, to even the playing field, a better opportunity to go to school. Uh, or for hold example, on, hold on. So opportunity, they can't go to that school because it costs too much. No, 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 no. Well, yeah, that that could be because... that's so that's that's a good example, right? So yeah. so somebody has problems with finances, right? So yeah, they don't have the they don't have the same opportunity. They could get in, right? But they okay, don't. So have... they have the opportunity to go. They have the opportunity to apply. Sure. But they don't have the means to pay for it. Right. I think that's, I don't see that that's not an opportunity because they might have the opportunity. Well, so that's where, that's where. That's where it gets dicey, right? Like that's. Well, it's, that's your, that's where you're saying there's an equality of outcome. The outcome is you get to go to college. Well, I think the equality of outcome. Everybody gets to go to college. I think more, when I think of equality of outcome, I think of, okay, so it doesn't matter if you've, you know, if you worked. 25 hours a week or 40 hours a week, you get paid the same or, you know, oh, you know, this person, um, you know, this person is a, uh, you know, this person's been doing this for five years. This person's been doing it for one, but we're going to pay them the same. Like that's the equal. That's what I see of equality of outcome or say like, you know, redistribution of wealth is equality of is uh, um, is equality. Here's, of here's, here's one. We, we all uh take our math test mm -hmm. some people studied some people studied a little and some people didn't study at all right mm -hmm. but we all get a c yeah that's the quality of outcome yeah I'm totally against that right i and i think i you know this is the thing that i think is so funny is that i think that most people are i think yeah. where people i think where where we we really have problems right well i'll tell you who is hold on i'll tell you who is who is who's against it is the people who got A's, B's and C's. Right. And the people who are for it are the people who got D's and F's. Right. Cause they get raised up. I think you're right. I think you're right there, but I think, I think what, what the problem here in a lot of these situations is that we can't even agree on definitions, right? Like you brought up like a woman, right? Okay. Well, your view of a woman 
and a trans person's view as a woman is going to be very, very different. So it's hard to have a conversation when you can't even have a de- an agreement of the definition. You can't even start, yeah. right? So like equality of opportunity. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you think equality of opportunity is, yeah, you can both apply for the loan. And the other person's like, well, hold on. I think equality of opportunity is this guy gets the loan. This guy wouldn't get the loan because he's in a bad spot. So we're going to give him a little bit of a bump. That's my idea of equality of opportunity. This is where the problem becomes. And I don't think there's enough conversation there, right? They just think, oh, man, you're just cold-hearted, Kevin. You don't think that he should yeah. get that loan, right? Because, you know, and I don't think it's that you're cold-hearted. I think that you have a, a, a fundamental disagreement with the premise. And we can talk about that, right? But Yeah, we can talk about that because where I – I don't think that anyone has had an easy life, right? Yeah. The hardest, everyone's done hard things. Everyone's been through hard times. Some people is harder than others, but the hardest thing that Josh Edla's ever done is the hardest thing that Josh Edla's ever done, mm-hmm. right? And you don't know any harder than that. Anyone else, they only know the hardest thing they've ever done. Um, so it, it's hard to, it's hard to have that perspective, but how do we, I've lost my, my train of thought on where, where we were headed with that. Um, <laughs> where, I, mean, I, thought, I thought I was going somewhere. That is try doing that. Try You talk about being a lawyer. Try having that happen in a deposition. That is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a couple of recordings that I was like, delete. Uh. Yeah, no, oh, um, so, so well, let, let me, let me kind of fast forward back to the Trump stuff because sure. so, so 2016, I remember that time and I look, I want most people to understand. And I'll just say this as a full disclosure. So everybody knows I did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016, nor did I vote for him in 2020. I had some big concerns about him. Uh, And, and so, um, but I had some people who were like, what was your biggest concern? Okay, so well, the biggest concern, I, his brash personality and the way he treated people. I, I am somebody who I believe, and some people don't, but I believe that the president is the moral compass of the of the country. I didn't like Barack Obama's policies, but I'll tell you what, he was a statesman. President Bush, absolutely. President Bush, there were some things I liked, some things I didn't like, but I'll tell you what, hell of a statesman. You know what I mean? Donald Trump coming yeah. out and saying all those things about Rosie O'Donnell, the grab him by the pussy thing, um, you know, the way that he just went after people. And it, okay. wasn't, ever, no, and it, wasn't, ever going, it wasn't ever going after people about policy. It was personal. Yeah. Ted Cruz's dad being killing JFK. I mean, yeah. that was kind of funny. <laughs> okay. But I mean, like, you know. All right. All so, right. I, these are all valid, 100% valid criticisms of Donald Trump. And his his personality is his biggest asset and his greatest liability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a counterpuncher. Mm-hmm. He's a counterpuncher, right? Yeah, I heard he's him not say going out and look. He's not looking for fights. But if you talk trash about him, if you mention his name, you better expect something's coming. Rosie wanted to fight, and he didn't start it. But he finishes it, right? I don't, and I don't condone that. I'm not saying this as in any way to condone. It's just a way of to explain the man and say, in my, from my perspective, do I like it? No. Do I think, do I like him as a statesman? No. Do I agree with Josh Edlow that I want my president to be a statesman like Barack Obama? Yes. 
But did I like Barack Obama? No. But he didn't make our country look like a jackhole, like other than when he bowed to the foreign leaders. Okay, he did do that. Okay, so that made us kind of look weak. But, 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 Trump, what he made up for in his what what he what he lacked in his tact, right, and his kind of polish, um, I felt like he made up for with like love for America, and I felt like that it was. Whatever he was doing, it was for the good of Americans. Like I, he, whether that was true or not, he made me believe it, right? Mm-hmm. That, that with his America first, make America great again, it was like, gosh, why, why haven't people been saying this before? So it's like, okay, he, he's not the most polished. He's saying much stuff, but he's saying this other stuff that is really striking a chord with like, I love America, man. This is a great country. I, I grew up like with Rambo, America, you know, and Chuck Norris, America. And like, we have American heroes that were like, because America's the best. And, you know, and I feel like we, I, we grew up that way and like GI Joe and everything was like pro America. And then over the last 20 years, it feels like, Oh no, actually America's bad. You know, there's this narrative on how America's not the, this great shining beacon and bad. It's kind of like bummer. And then Trump comes along and said like, no, we want to make it great again. And that was like really inspiring, I think, for me and for a lot of people. And so it kind of overshadowed that stuff that we know that we didn't like either. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, for as much as people loves Trump, nobody, I mean, if they're honest with you, they're going to tell you they don't like the mean tweets. Yeah. You know? So, so I got to say, like, there, there, there's a couple of things I wanted to say building off of what you just said. Um, here's an interesting story. Like I said, I'm, I'm interested in the process. So I read a bunch of articles about how guys get elected or how women get elected, right? How they, how they do it. Here's something interesting that a lot of people don't know about Donald Trump. So one of those, I think it was 17 contenders was Rick Santorum Mm -hmm. and Rick Santorum actually won in 2012, the primary he had won, I think it was Ohio. And another state, like swing states in the primaries. And he had done it by talking about manufacturing, steel, like all of these things that a lot of people didn't talk about. So when Rick Santorum was about in this one, I mean, the, the field was just too great. Nobody was interested yeah. in Rick Santorum. Right. When he was about to pull out, Donald Trump said, hey, come here, talk to me. And he sat him down and he goes, tell me what you're talking about. Like explain to me what it is that you're talking about with manufacturing. And Torum explained it to him and then his message changed. And, and guess that's how he won all those, those swing States. It was the rest belt because, yeah. because Rick, he realized Trump is, he's, he's a crazy man, but he's also crazy smart. And he knows, you know, he's strategic. So he sees I'm going to need Ohio I'm going to need, and Rick Santorum didn't win anywhere else, but these big places, these manufacturing places, let's figure out what his message was and let's tailor, right? Mm-hmm. That's how he won that. Now, the other thing that's interesting in what you said is you talked about, I think there's something to this about the patriotism. Bill Maher said on, a, on one of his podcasts recently, who I actually really like Bill Maher and always have, even though I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but I've always thought he was a He's a classic guy. liberal, which is which is refreshing now. Yeah. Right. Funny, funny how ago, him and Ted, oh my gosh, Bill Maher. But today it's like, oh, you're, you're isn't it? Isn't it funny that Bill right now, Bill Maher and Ted Cruz are on the same side? 
<laughs> I mean, like, you know what I mean? And so, but Bill Maher said, he goes, do you know who in America never, ever talks about how bad America is? Immigrants. He's like, they come over here and they love that they can work hard. You know, there's a reason why all of those, you know, undocumented workers, illegal aliens, whatever you want to call them, why they come here. Because you can work here and you can live in a very comfortable spot. And it's yeah. all on you. You know, mm -hmm. and so, so yeah, you're right. Like, I think that a lot of people, at least from my anecdotal view, Donald Trump hit on a few things that was sorely lacking. I've often said in, in like prior to Donald Trump, I said, because everybody was just such, like you said, they're all politicians and they all say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what, what I, I used to say, you know what, I would, you know, I would vote for someone who was a complete jerk, who was a terrible person if I just thought he was telling the truth. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> One of the things that I thought that the, in 2016, which made me actually think about voting for Donald Trump, was when he was on a primary and someone was like, oh, well, Donald Trump didn't pay taxes last year. And he goes, yeah, you know what? I didn't. He's like, you know mm -hmm. what I did? He's like, I used the tax code to my advantage and I didn't pay a dime. And he goes, you don't like that? Change the tax code. We'll change the tax code. And I was like, Wow. You know what he just did? He just basically looked at all you people and said, you know all that stuff that you think we're doing? We're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we can change, and you can change it, but I'm doing it. And, uh, and you know, nobody I, ever says stuff like that. Politicians right. never say it. He like pulled back the curtain and gave you the right. and, and so that right, that is a right. great example of like what endeared him to so many people. He just said that. Wow, the balls on him. Like, mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. You know, right. like it's like get all so gooey eyed at him. So, okay, so I remember I was actually at a Kings game with a buddy when all those straights turned red, and it was shocking to me. I mean, I thought it was shocking uh, that he won. Uh, I think everybody was. Um, so, when you voted for him in 2016. Were you yeah. voting for him or were you voting against Hillary? How do you feel you, you were voting? No, I was voting for him. I wow. was definitely okay. voting for him. Yeah. And what I was, was it specifically, him. like, what was it policy-wise that made you want to vote for him? Okay, so this is great because this is a major, major thing. And it mm -hmm. was Supreme Court. Oh, okay. It was the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, so that was like, and obviously it paid off, like, more than anyone ever thought it would. Yeah, if you're talking, if if you're if you view, yeah, if you view, if you're a conservative, let me also real quick say something. Yeah. Keep your train of thought. I yeah. think personally, as an attorney, it is so problematic that we are so worried about who gets on the Supreme Court. I really am. I think it's ridiculous because if you understand separation of powers. It should not matter who's on the Supreme Court. Right. Whoever, I mean, yeah. I understand why conservatives and, and liberals, why it is such a big deal. It is a big deal, right? It shouldn't be. Because <laughs> these guys, they're supposed to interpret the law. They're not supposed to create it. 
You know what I mean? And so, like, so someone said a joke when after I sent out who was coming on, and I said, "Do you have any questions?" He said, "Yeah, I have questions about abortion. Just kidding." But like, <laughs> but like, but the, the the thing that I would I would say about like the, the most recent decision that came down is that that is a great example of why active judicial activism is such a problem because precedent doesn't matter. It didn't matter when Roe v. Wade came around in the 70s, right? It didn't matter. They just created a law that arguably was real squishy out of the 14th Amendment, and now it's gone. So when you allow yeah. when you allow a judiciary to create law, and you it, depending on who it is, you can have rights and have them taken away. The right way to do it is to go through the legislature. Do you see what I'm saying? So I totally understand where you're coming from. It just me, it bothers and me. Wait, isn't can we I mean, we're not going to talk about abortion, but we can talk about the decision that came down. All it did was put it back to the states. Right. And the thing, and, and that's that's my point. So that didn't legalize anything. It right. So my, it's up to the states. So yeah, I think... The clarification is lost. So, so for... I want to make it super clear, by the way. I am talking as a lawyer, as someone who has a a doctorate in law. Okay. I'm not setting my opinion on abortion at all. My opinions are, I think, I think a lot of like members of the church would not agree with my opinions on abortion. And I think a lot of people who aren't members of the church wouldn't agree with my opinions on abortion either. I'm very middle of the road. I think it's a super complicated situation, but speaking as a lawyer who understands the law, what I'm saying is, is that this is the problem. Right. If you allow nine people who are unelected, picked by the president, who, depending on their political leanings, will change the law, that's not what they're there to do. They're there to be interpreted. So you're right. In the 70s, right, they they took federally a right. Like, I don't even think abortion would even be that big of a deal, really, if that had just been allowed to go down the political road. I think most people agree that abortion in in some circumstances should be legalized. Someone should be able to get, I mean, where where that line is, is, is a question, right? And it even was mm -hmm. after Roe v. Wade. You know what I mean? But like, yeah, but I don't, I think the vast majority believe that it should be legal in certain circumstances. The problem becomes is when you take a law that the 14th Amendment was never about abortion. It was about slavery. You know what I mean? And so expanding that to some things to fit a political leaning, you know, sh should that have been right? Maybe. Yeah. You know, you know, yes. But that's not their job. And so now it's not their job to take, you know, they shouldn't be taking it back either. Right. I mean, and so when people well, I, it, wait, I, I, we can uh, we can discuss whether they should. If someone implements something that isn't right, just because they implement it doesn't mean it should stay. Well, I guess my point is, is this: is that the argument whenever some, a judge would come on, right, and they'd ask him about abortion, they would say, "Oh, I won't comment on something that may come before the court." Right. But then they'd ask him yeah. about precedent, and they would say, "No, no, definitely, we should follow precedent." Yeah. Well, if you agree with that, then Roe v. Wade was precedent for 40 years. But then also, right, and they talk about this in the recent decision, okay, if you believe in precedent, Brown versus Board of Education shouldn't have happened because Plessy versus Ferguson was decided, right? <laughs> yeah. so like, you know what I mean? So, so that's what I'm saying is that judicial activism 
go it it the pendulum swings. Things will be rights for a while. You know, the only reason I know about all of that stuff is just because I'm watching the judicial confirmations. It's the only right. reason I, I right. know about Plessy about Ferguson and uh, Brown versus Board of Education because of that. You know, I'm right. enthralled by all of those. But, right. Uh, but that's, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, for people who don't understand, you know, uh, you know, Plessy versus Ferguson was the decision that said that you can have separate bathrooms for black and white people, but as long as they were equal, separate but equal came from Plessy versus Ferguson. So, Brown versus Board of Education is what segregated was desegregated, right? So you know you have judicial again judicial activism. Now you can you can make arguments of whether things should or shouldn't happen, right? But it shouldn't be the judiciary's job, and but it is. It's become that, right? And we can have a long conversation about why that is. I've actually been trying to get someone from my law school to come on to talk about this, and they just don't want to talk about it. They're just afraid to have the discussion, but. But anyway, back, back so to number one for me, number one was uh -huh. the Supreme Court, right? right? That was like big, right? We knew there right. was one. We knew there was one, maybe two. We had no idea we would get RBG. I mean, yeah. uh, that that was um, rest her soul. Um, she was awesome. But um, having Trump being able to, you know, nominate three Supreme Court justices was huge, right? So that one was Supreme Court. Uh, two was um, probably the economy or and or the border, um, mm -hmm. and then you know I just loved his pro America, America first stance. Uh, anti China was a big thing. He, you know, no one was talking about China that much. No yeah. one was talking about how much of a competitor they are. And I actually started um, reading a book recently called Kill Chain. If you haven't read mm -hmm. it, check it out. Joe Rogan's reading it currently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But the kill chain is all about um, this uh, kind of uh, our military versus Chinese military and how they have basically surpassed us with technology and we're bogged down because we were still fighting wars in the way uh, of the 1980s, still within sure. the last 10 years with like big tanks and things like that. Where And, and like our systems, for example, um, uh, uh, sh ships or uh, planes in the Navy can't communicate with planes in the air force they can't see each other on their radars hmm. they're different systems completely like are you kidding me like things like that that is just like boggles my mind and, and, and this book gets into all the details and how china is surpassing us but anyway um so china was a big threat that trump brought up that they've been a threat they've been active but he kind of is saying like we need to pay more attention to this we need to do better on trade oh let's do better on trade like that was a big thing like trump is going to help us out with trade he's going to do better he's a deal maker right if if he's going to be he's going to be able to do better negotiations for us uh, so those were like the the main like kind of things that i liked about trump and he, he wasn't a politician that was also like uh why i voted for him like, that was it. I wanted something. I wanted something outside the box. He was bringing a new energy, businessman mentality, um, America first, uh, conservative judges, secure border, improved trade. Like that was that was hitting on on all the things I like. So I got to tell you, there were some. The thing Trump was a mixed bag for me at the beginning, and, and the reason was is because some of the things that you talked about, I definitely liked, like the trade talks. And the China stuff, both of those, I was like, someone had to say that, you yeah. know, and someone. And I think his tat look like as an attorney, I dig I dig that he's you know, I saw a picture of him 
one time where that like all of the other they were I don't know what deal they were arguing. I think it might have been the it might have been NAFTA, but like all of the other people negotiating were all around him and he had his arms crossed and shaking like it was a bad thing. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that. He yeah. holds all the cards. He's he's not bending. And I thought well, he's the ultimate alpha male. I mean, if you if you think about that and you think about like he's an alpha, right? Yeah. He's in the room. He 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 he's the one who who is in control. So you know what I mean? At least in his world. So yeah, and that's and look, I mean that, and I also agree. China, right? Like he tried the he tried to do the negotiations with North Korea, right? I mean, he was doing yeah, he was doing yeah. things. Uh, I didn't know he was going to do that though. Full disclosure. Yeah, that was more of a liability as far as voting for him, like. The people are like we're gonna have World War Three. We're like, no, we're not. I hope. You know <laughs> yeah, I mean? right, right. It was like, I'm pretty sure we're not gonna have World War Three. Right. Well, Trump don't well, say something stupid. But I mean, with that Twitter back and forth. I mean, calling calling uh, calling him Rocket Man, you know, and, and things right. like that with like threatening, like, oh, what are you gonna do, Rocket Man? It's like, okay, that was a little bit scary. Not gonna lie, right? It was a little bit pushing, but that's just uh, maybe his brashness kind of leaking out so but how he handled north korea korea was not something i was uh inspired by or thinking that he was going to do a great job at i didn't that wasn't the reason i voted for him but the fact that he did it i felt like was a huge feather in his cap nobody else is going and shaking hands in the demilitarized zone you know what i mean sure sure that's that's big Sure. So let me ask you a question that came from a listen, list, uh, listener yeah. that I think is that you can respond to. That's that's good because you have three daughters, fifteen. Yep. How old are the other two? Twelve and nine. Okay. Fifteen, twelve, and nine. Yeah. So nine years ago, then your youngest daughter was not born yet when he was when he was elected. Yeah, she was born in twenty third. She's born in twenty thirteen. Yeah, okay, my math is my math is off. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> so anyway, okay. So um, this is the question that came through as a father of daughters. What would you tell your daughters about some of uh, the things Donald Trump has said about women, for example, calling them pig, grab them by the pussy. Yeah. Um, so we, I've talked to my daughters about this, right? Hmm. Um, what, and so what I, what I tell them is, That's not right. We don't, that's not how I talk to people. That's not how the people around us talk to people, but not everyone is like us. Everyone is different. Um, the grab them by the pussy thing, like he's not going and saying, he didn't say that over the pulpit, right? And I'm just glad that there weren't any recording devices in my locker rooms when I was in high school and college, right? And I'm sure a lot of people are, are grateful that there aren't hidden uh microphones and sometimes in some of the things that they said right so um so i would say that and i would say that um i don't condone that i don't think that's great um uh, sometimes that's the kind of talk unfortunately uh you know that the guys use um but yeah no, my girls know how how to how I treat them. They know how I treat women. And so I think I'm much more of an influence on them for that than Donald Trump is. 
Um, dad, why did you, I mean, I could hear the listener saying, well, what if she says, dad, why did you support that when you knew he uh, disrespects women, right? And I said, I, I would say, um, I felt like sometimes you have to make compromises, mm -hmm. right? And he's mm -hmm. not perfect. And I wasn't voting for him to be my um, spiritual leader or my mm -hmm. uh, moral leader. I wasn't. Yeah. That's not what I was voting for. I was voting for him to be my country's leader. And I needed certain things for my country's leader to do that maybe comes along with some of the stuff that I don't like and don't agree with. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, that that's how I would uh, kind of come across it. They, uh, Thomas Sowell, do you know who, who that is? Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the things, one, one, yeah, so brilliant mind. But one of the things he, he said is there are no solutions, only compromises. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't think Trump was a solution. He was a compromise. You make a compromise. So some of the, you want all of these things, you can't have them all. Mm. Um, so pick the ones you, that are the most important and, and go with that. And unfortunately, um, that's what we're left with sometimes in, in this political atmosphere. But for me, I was happy to vote for Trump because the things that, that I felt like he would do that were good far outweighed his flaws hmm. um, on, a, on a grand scale. Like, yeah. You know, it's the fact it, that, yeah. This, I got to say, you know, just to push back on this a little bit. Yeah. For me, that I look, I played basketball, right? And so I. You know, yeah, like I remember what the guys said in high school. I remember some of the things I said, you know. Uh, so, yeah, but, but this isn't this isn't a kid in high school, right? I mean, this is a guy who's in his 60s, married, you know what I mean? Talking mm -hmm. about grabbing a married woman, you know. Well, he was – the, the context was he's uh, basically the head of Miss Universe, right? Right. And he's walking around talking to the, the this interviewer. He thought they were off mic. He just, just had this thing. He's like, look at all these beautiful women around there. You go up to him. He's like, I could just walk to up to him, just grab him by the pussy. And he could just can I can. You know what I mean? So could he? Did he? I don't know. Yeah. Does it sound a little bit braggadocious and crude? Yeah. Well, Does it sound like he's trying to be cool that. for a guy? But, but in that uh, same conversation, I believe... I believe yeah. in that same conversation, he's also talking about, you know, a married woman that he tried to kiss, you know, and all these things. He's like, you can do that when you're a celebrity, right? And I just, yeah. to me, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and you're right. Like, look, that's gross. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's gross. And yeah. he's not. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm defending that oh, behavior because I, I don't, I don't. Yeah, and I and I don't and I'm not trying to say that you're wrong for making the decision you made. I, I don't I don't think that at all. I, everyone has their own decisions. I'm just saying from my perspective. I looked at that and I just said, you know, people who go to the pulpit they don't say what they really mean all the time, you know. Uh, but in private, yeah. when they don't think someone's listening, they say what they mean sometimes, you know. Yeah. And, and when you're making a decision, for me, I was like, if I'm making a decision, I want to vote. And there were also some things, you know, like some of the things that I was concerned about, like him being sued when some of his apartment complexes, dealing with racism and things like that, and some of the bankruptcies and things that, it, that seemed a little shady, kind of questioned me. I didn't like his, I didn't like the way he just attacked people. It made, I'm a guy, I'm a policy guy. I liked when Jeb Bush said, policy matters, right? I mean, and 
he never really he talked about his policies but not in any you know real significant stuff but that doesn't win elections unfortunately you know it doesn't win elections but anyway so when i when i look at that and i just said man you know i just i didn't i just didn't want i was like for me like everybody i talked to and that not everybody i shouldn't say everybody that's an all-nothing statement but i mean like a lot of the people i talked to they just said listen it's the lesser of two evils and i just i couldn't bring myself to do that i said no i'm not voting against hillary i'm voting for somebody and i'm not voting for donald trump i'm not voting for hillary either right did you vote for johnson uh i think i wrote in mitt romney (laughs) (laughs) yeah and uh, and I voted for Romney. I you mentioned Mitt Romney couldn't, and I, I agree. He he didn't speak to the common man. I voted for him in 2012, and I did it excited. I thought he was. Well, I voted for him in 08, and I voted it for him in 12 as well. Yeah, yeah. I was so, an 08 guy. McCain, you know, freaking. If you wanted Huckabee, screwed us over. If it wasn't for Huckabee, Romney would have had the nomination back in 08, not yeah. McCain. That was a yeah. wasted year. But anyway. Yeah, uh, so, I digress. Yeah, yeah, but but anyway, so um, okay, so so he gets elected. Uh, how yeah. did you feel about his presidency? So he gets, I mean, because I so you know, I took my daughter when he when he was running. I took uh-huh. my daughter to uh, in 2015 out to Sacramento Airport, and he Trump came, and Rachel, my oldest daughter, and I went and saw him with my friend Anthony Gould and his daughter, hmm. and we got pins, and that was like really cool daddy daughter and this time he was just one of 17 right mm-hmm. but it was like driving away i was like you know he may not be but honey that might be the president you might have just seen the president of the united states right um so i got my kids they were really excited about about trump we talked about all of it. and so mm-hmm. on election night uh it was late the kids had to go to bed but they were watching they were watching everything with us um and in the morning when I go in and open the door, hey, it's time to get up and go to school. The first thing that Rachel said to me was, did he win? Mm. You know, with this big look on her face. And I was like, he won. And she's like, no way. I'm like, yeah. And it was just like this it just awesome experience, right? So we were related because we beat Hillary. Um, it, she was supposed to be un- unbeatable. She was supposed to be the anointed. It was her time. It was all these things. And I didn't like Hillary. I mean, for whatever, but I loved Trump. So his president, now to your question, he's president, right? What did I think of his presidency? I thought policy-wise, I thought uh, Supreme Court justice-wise, I thought, uh, uh, you know, uh, socio-politically or uh, globally uh, on a political stage, um, I felt like it was really good, really good. Um, if you look at the Abraham Accords, uh, trying to Middle East peace talks, um, we didn't start any wars um, while, while he was president um, or, or get in any uh, proxy wars or side conflicts while he was president. As a matter of fact, we already mentioned, he, he went to the demilitarized zone, North Korea, shook hands with the leader, cooled tensions, there um so i felt like he was doing a really good job economy was doing well uh everything was doing uh what what seemed to be doing well um 
other, you know, the only president who who survived two impeachments. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like acquitted twice, impeached twice, and acquitted twice. You know? Yeah. Um, so, 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 the, so I felt like um, he did. He had a very good four-year term, um, despite the fact that there were enemies of his looking to take him down from the start before he even got into office. There were people looking to take him down um, from within the FBI, from within the, the permanent government uh, employees or non-elected officials who just kind of are, you know, government employees. There was, uh, and between the media, this effort to take that man down any way possible. Let me comment on that real quick because I, you know, I think that this is an area where I think the left doesn't give enough credence to the fact that the media definitely wanted to smear Donald Trump. Like, it's not a question, right? In my mind. But I also think the right gives that a little too much credit. And what I mean by that is, is first of all, Donald Trump made them hate him. I mean, like, you know what I mean? He, he very much, the way he, he would treat these guys, because there were times that they were asking him, in my mind, legitimate hard questions. And he didn't like it. You know, if they would push back, he didn't like it. And then he'd do his calling his name thing and stuff, and then they'd get mad. And I'm not saying it's right. They definitely had agendas, and journalists shouldn't have agendas, right? But but some of that was his own make. At the same time, if there's anyone on the left who thinks that all that stuff the media was saying was 100% true, I mean, come on. Like, you know what I mean? It was it was obvious. There were times where I'm just like, give me a break. Well, yeah. so, and but people were convinced because of the media, because, you know, they there'd be... Uh, they'd have interviews with congressmen like Adam Schiff, who's on the intelligence committee. So he has this inside, inside scoop, and he would come on and say, from, the, from what I've seen, it is very clear, uh, undeniable, that there's Trump-Russia collusion. Mm-hmm. I can't share the details of it now, but from what I've seen, it is undeniable. And he would go on. And these different would go on, and then they were the talking heads on all of the media would go on and say, it is, see, undeniable. And then we'd have uh, former CIA directors go on and be like, oh, yeah, Trump is definitely colluding. Um, and so it builds this, this narrative against Trump that what happened of it? What happened with Trump, Trump collusion? What did they say? Okay, there were people who were indicted, but not for collusion with Russia. Right for other things like uh, they found going on because they opened up an inquiry and so now they can go in and find all of the dirt. But they didn't find Trump colluding with Russia. That was such a bunch of hogwash, and yet it was a persistent media theme for two and a half years or more, maybe even more. And people still believe that Rush that Trump colluded with Russia to steal the presidency. And you I think that you think the media misses him. I think they do. <laughs> I think they, they do. They still talk. Are you kidding me? He's still on their minds. He lives rent free in their head. They anything that's anything that guy does, they want to go to him. 
But I think purely, I, I think purely from a profit standpoint, they miss it. Yeah. Because oh, MSNBC surely does. Because they, I got the viewership dropped off when he when he didn't win. When that man lost his Twitter, like I bet I bet the ratings plummeted because it just seemed like anything he ever tweeted at three in the morning ended up at on CNN at six. You know what I mean? It yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, he, he would tweet. I went to the bathroom and it was great. And they'd be like, "Oh, Trump was in the bathroom. Should have been in the. Should have been in the office. Should have been next to the what red phone." Yeah. Why was he yeah. on his phone at two a.m.? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? You know what I think was. I thought there were some times when he did some things that actually made me laugh, like the Elizabeth Warren stuff. It was like, take the test, take the test, take the test, take the test. <laughs> she wouldn't take it, and then he's like, and then and then, and then the media comes and like, well, she took the test. He's like, nah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, just like. <laughs> He's the ultimate troll. So some of us who kind of like that, who are a little like, you know, I'm a jokester, love that tease, just really appreciate that. But listen, the Trump presidency came and went, right? He was impeached twice. And well, I think mean, we're getting to the point now where we can talk about where my why or where my support lies now. Why it left Trump? Well, well, let me let me tell you a couple of things before we go into that. All right, okay, okay. So here's the thing: I'm like, I gotta say before because it'll feed in. Yeah. What did you like about think, his presidency? Well, okay, so I, I think it was a mixed bag. I think he was an absolute train wreck when it came to public relations. I mean, the guy would not, I mean, I, I don't know how many people did he have being like, for the love of God, put your phone down. You know what I mean? Like, please don't, don't tweet. And I was just sitting there, and I, you know, me as just a guy interested in strategy and policy, I was like, I, I think before COVID happened, like if COVID had never happened, we, Donald Trump would still be president. I mean, things were... The economy was growing. Yeah. There were some things that I found yeah. policy-wise that were shocking. Like when he did his Trump tax cuts, everyone flipped their lid. And particularly what I noticed was interesting was that he was saying, no, 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 this will be offset by growth. We're going to get 4% GDP growth. And everyone was like, every economist that was there was like, that is not possible. It's never been possible. It's never done. And then he did it, and it happened. You know what I mean? And it was like, <laughs> the other thing I would say that was, like I said, I liked his trade stuff. I did. I liked the, the renegotiating of NAFTA. I thought it was good. I thought that his points on it, even when the one there were some that he wanted to that didn't get to, uh, I thought his points were valid, what he was saying. Especially, like, with the tariffs on China. Like, mm -hmm. I thought that, that was... He had legitimate points, right, on all of that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just the way he handled himself personally, the way that he would... The people he'd hire if they didn't do exactly what he wanted, the way he handled January 6th, and what I mean by that is I don't, I don't know, I don't know that if he, uh, that he necessarily incited anybody violence. I would say legally, I don't believe he did. Like if that got put in front of a judge or a jury, I don't think what he did met the standard for incitement to violence. But I think his reaction to it was concerning. 
And also, I think this is something that I've said for, uh, to a lot of people, and you may disagree with me on this, and this would probably get us into Black Lives Matter stuff, quite frankly, but we'll, we'll get there. But I don't know if Donald Trump is a racist, but I do think that he understands that there is a good portion of his voting block that is. And so I think that he goes out of his way not to piss them off. And so, you think a good what is a good portion? Well, I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's like a majority. How many racists do you know? Well, I think okay. So I don't know a lot of people who come out and say they're racist. Okay. But I think there's a lot of people. Who are, I think uh, racists will come out and tell you they're racist. But you I think there are some people. I think we all have. I think we all have prejudices that we don't want to admit. You know. Sure. Um, Absolutely. And so, but I. But what I'm saying is, is I think that that the Richard Spencers of the world and people like that. I think that they very much liked Donald Trump, and Donald Trump knew that. And so there were times when he could have said things. He could have said yeah. things a little bit stronger against things. And didn't initially. He did later. Yeah. And give him credit yeah. for that. But initially, yeah. he could have said some things that he didn't, and that hurt him. And so, uh, yeah, and, and and I agree. I agree. Um, and the kind of what Trump, in my opinion, is scorched earth. Yeah. There's no going back to Trump. He's scorched earth. Uh, for as good as he did, um, for as many good things as I liked that he did, um, I didn't like a lot. A lot of things you mentioned, I also did not like. But he is scorched earth after January sixth, and I like you. I don't place blame necessarily on him, but the damage is done. That you can't come. I, there's no way you can come back from that, and so. The reason I am not supporting Donald Trump for president in 2024 is because he is unelectable. Mm, yeah. And I want winners. I want winners. <laughs> and I prefer my presidential candidates to not lose presidential elections. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. You know, and that's the thing. Yeah, you know. Like a game joke right there, but in, yeah. 50 well, yeah, and a Donald Trump joke because he lost an election too. But, well, because he well because Donald Trump made the joke about McCain. Right. Is I prefer my heroes to not get captured. Right. 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 He, right. he was he was questioning whether McCain was a war hero, and yeah. it's like, oh, he he went there, right? And I can't yeah. believe he just said that. And so I, that was my kind of. Uh, back when, when you get back at him, yeah. I prefer my candidates to to not lose. Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. This is this is my opinion in 2024, and uh, this is just my opinion strategically. If you are a Republican, uh, I think the worst thing that could happen is Donald Trump run. I mean, because yeah, no, yeah, that won't. Ha I can I can guarantee that won't happen. See, I, well, I don't know because he. I think I, I think every Republican, especially after the midterms, are like, okay, Donald, you can't. But he might just because he can't, you know. And and he does have enough support. Yeah, but so I, he has a lot of support, and the people that love him love. They're like yeah. the people who are still right today behind behind him will always be behind him 100% and they're behind him as much as anyone has ever been behind a political can I can I just ask you how yeah. how freaked out were you 
when that guy in Utah said Donald Trump is the Captain Moroni of today. Did you hear that? You remember hearing that? No. Donald Trump, Donald Trump went to a rally in Utah, and I don't remember if it was a like a, a federal legislator or a state senator or what, but he got up there to announce it. He's like, he is the Captain Moroni of our day. And I was like, okay, you may like Donald Trump, but that is not a fair comparison. <laughs> Yeah, that I, is a I don't terrible see how there's any, yeah, that's a stretch. Yeah. yeah um, so, but so, but, so, but going going into 2024, like Ron DeSantis, I think if he runs without Donald Trump opposing, I think he wins in a landslide. I mean, I think he I think he wins in a landslide. Yeah, uh, you said the name before I got to, but that's the guy right there. Yeah. Um, he is. Everything that people liked about Trump, as far as brash, but all the things that people—he's not the things that people didn't like about Trump. Where he's brash and pushes back to supporter to uh, reporters, and like you can tell, he has a backbone and he has a conviction behind what he's saying, and like um, he, he has that kind of—I'll say it again, like the alpha mentality where um, he'll push back. And he's saying something for a reason. So, like, anyway, he's kind of a, uh, a counterpuncher, uh, to put it a better way. Um, so we like that about Ron DeSantis. But dude is freaking – you look at his resume, right? He's been a congressman. He's been a governor. Uh, was it – He was Was he West Point? Um, or he was – I thought he was some military school, but then he went to Harvard, right? It's like dude is, like, very intelligent – um, very motivated, um, has great political experience, um, and is kind of, you know, governor of a big, important state, you know, that people love him. He did a great job during COVID. Like, hey, this seems like the next guy. Um, well, that's, so that's, that's what I'm saying. It's just, for, like I said, again, from a strategic standpoint, he hits all the Okay, buttons. so Trump. Yeah, he hits all the buttons, but Trump needs to go away because the problem with Trump is, and this is the, if you're a Trump supporter, you love this about Trump, but he just destroys opponents. Yeah. The, yeah the, I mean, he's going to get in his way. Team. He just eviscerates them. See, I think you're right. I think so, Trump, if he runs, he doesn't get, he doesn't beat DeSantis. I think DeSantis wins, but Trump bruises DeSantis so bad that it gives the Democrats a chance. Because who are the Democrats going to run it, run against? Them? I mean, oh my gosh, Biden's got one foot in the grave already. Nobody likes Dude, it's our, it's our governor, man. It's Newsom. Newsom is twenty twenty two. So, so twenty twenty four. It's going to be Gavin. Gavin so, for sure is going. My, my, I'll say it right now. You heard it here first on the Edlo podcast. Gavin Newsom will be the Democratic nominee for president in twenty twenty four. So here's the here's the thing. Is you hear this a lot because this is just my opinion. But you've heard I've heard in every election probably 2008 this election is going to define you know where we go no I really do think the most important election of our generation Hannity says it every two years <laughs> no but I, I really do think that this election is going to determine the the parties for real you know I mean because yeah if you get someone like Gavin Newsom 
That is going to define him, and he's very progressive. There's been a fight in the Democrats right now between the, the classical liberals and the progressives, right? That's going to define where that goes. But, it, but on the same side, if you could you imagine Ron DeSantis with Nikki Haley as a vice president? I mean, you set yourself up for Republican rule for 12, barring the catastrophe for 12 to 16. Yeah. I mean, because every, she's the only person that came out of the Trump the, the Trump White House, people loving her more than when she went in. She's right. a, she, she's female, right? I mean, she's a female conservative. So if you run her as vice president, you're going to get some of the female vote that's going to move over to the conservatives because nobody seems to like Kamala Harris for whatever reason. I have my reasons, but everybody's for many reasons, yeah, yeah. And then, for obvious reasons, you know. And then you have you you know, and you have Ron DeSantis who won by what twenty points in a swing state yeah. as a governor. Yeah, you put them together. I mean. You've got, like I said, I think you have Republicans in the White House for 16 years. I mean, and you're feeling like Republicans feel like the adults are back in charge, right? The, like, right. The responsible, you, hey, we got it, guys. We got it from here. Like you, know? like you, like you said, Ron DeSantis has the stuff, the policies you, that Republicans liked out of Donald Trump, and he, but he also understands he's a politician. He knows how to be a politician. And right. A there's a level of states. And so he, he has that moxie. He's got that moxie too. That's like, you know, he's a yeah. statesman, but also he's like, it's just like a, a, a confidence, you know, yeah. that, that he exudes. That is like, it's appealing. It's that, it's that, um, just, you can tell he's a leader. You know what I mean? He's a leader of, so let me let me ask you let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. If you if you knew they were gonna win, no matter what, and it's DeSantis and Trump, who do you vote for? DeSantis. No, I, Trump is So even if even if you knew Donald Trump was win, you knew he'd win, you'd still vote for DeSantis. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do know. Yeah. He this I okay. I feel like he's kind of losing it. I think he's yeah. losing touch oh, yeah. with reality a little bit. Oh yeah, um, yeah, I think so. Some of his antics and the things that he's he's doing now, it, it's like he's just making himself. It's getting kind of embarrassing, yeah. you know. And this coming from like this guy, right? I was this guy wearing the, this hat, right? Yeah, and, no, and all in, and I'm like, I got to tell you, dude. I mean, I'm oh, bro, you're kind of. You lost me. Of all the people I know who were Trump supporters, of all the people I know, you were you were probably one of the top five avid report like avid people who vote for him. So yeah. that's really telling. Now I want to real quick. We've gone a while, and it was, and I'm in I'm in groups before you get that. I'm in like text groups with conservatives, right, right. from all across the country, just friends, right. Mm -hmm. And so we have these like the these chats like about. Trump about DeSantis about whatever and this was a all-in Trump group we were all in on Trump and mm -hmm. now out of 13 or whatever in this group I don't know if there's a still someone who's still on board with Trump. wow and we were all in so that's where I say like he has support the people that love him I think would stick with him forever but there's a lot of people like me mm -hmm. who voted for him were all in but now just recognize that his time has passed yeah he's 
He's older. Not that not that, that matters, but he, he he is older. I think he's uh, maybe not as sharp. It seems like he's he's kind of. Uh, I, I think he's losing touch with reality. I think him losing the presidency and never being able to accept it is just like kind of like cracked him maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so like. Listen, when we lose, when we do something wrong, when our heroes, when we watch a sports hero uh, admit to taking stones, right? Yeah. What do we do? We're like, ah, that sucks. But like, we forgive them, right? Right, right. What about the sports heroes who deny steroids? Oh, yeah. We hate those guys. Right. Those guys are like, ah, screw you. You know, you're just a liar, right? And so that's how I look at Trump is the guy who's not admitting he's in steroids. Right, he's not admitting to losing. He he he's uh, living out this lie that that no, I still won. I'm still this. I mean, it's like it's kind of pathetic, you know. Um, and and so any of that like excitement and and everything I had towards him is gone. Right, he's pathetic. He and and he's um, yeah, he's he's unelectable. He's scorched earth, man. And yeah. so. Uh, was that I, is I that for you know. though? It was that it, like when January sixth happened and all that. Was no, that when like, it happened? So I still was all in on Trump. I was still and when January sixth happened, it was just like crap. I don't blame Trump. I didn't blame Trump. There's a lot. I feel like there's a lot to that whole situation. It, it's really weird. We don't really know uh, all the things that happened there. But I don't blame Trump. I don't hold him responsible for it. But like you, I hold him responsible for his reaction to it, which I felt like was slow and not appropriate. The not condone, not not condemning the actions immediately, and not it just was a little bit off to me, almost as if in some part of him he was happy. That yeah, that's that was my concern was that when you when you heard some of the people testify and talk about what he was doing when it was happening, yeah. he was almost proud that it was happening. Yeah, and so that is like sickening, right? Yeah. It's kind of sickening because like as much as we love support Trump and we wanted him to win and go through all the legal ways you can to find out if you did win or not or whatever, but when you don't, when you lose, when it's over, it's over, you have to admit it and you have to fess up to it. And, and own up to you being a loser, and, and the fact that you would almost take comfort, or, like satisfaction in this anarchy that is going on in our like some of our most holy places as a country, that you would like think that like yeah this is good because it's good for me is so disgusting. Yeah, it it's really so is disgusting to me. It's so self-centered and disgusting, and like the antithesis of America that it is just kind of like. Yeah. You know what, bro? Like this is one time when you thought about yourself that really was the wrong time. And, that, and so yeah. anyway, I got I got to give you I got to give you props, Kevin. I really do because I am surprised to hear you say it. I shouldn't be because you're a smart guy. <laughs> you know, you know, like really, like, this is the thing. This is my own just kind of, I guess, like what I view Trump supporters to be. I thought you would you would come on and say like January 6th, oh, you know, Trump didn't do anything wrong and all this stuff. And to hear you say what you're saying, I mean, I think it, it, shows, it shows to me, I think that sometimes when it comes to, it's almost like politics or another religion. Like you sit there and you're like looking at it. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you say. I'm just going to believe what I believe, no matter what. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
tell me that like you know yes you are a logical reasonable person that just like donald trump and when he did something you didn't like you know that's interesting so but, but let's yeah you gotta be let, as let, i get older i've found it's yeah go ahead no no no. go ahead finish with your thoughts no it's just as i've gotten older i found that um i question my beliefs more like do i believe what i believe and why do i believe what i believe and huh maybe i was wrong about that and i've i've done that i've made some big big changes on what i believe um since 2008. Like, yeah remember 2008 was the big uh what was 2008 what was um prop 8 when, when 2008 yeah 2008. The, um so from that point from at that point prop 8 um i was no one ate whatever the 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 church yes on it like your yes, 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 right? yes on it so it's yes on it had signs in the yard yes on it it was a big deal for whatever reason at that point i was all in on eight yes on it protect the family right that my wife was like i don't see why you're so gung-ho but okay i'll support you right she right. didn't she was like less um i donated money all these things and then like a couple years later or my sister, I come up to find out that my, my sister is bisexual and um, she was married at the time. She had an open marriage. Now she's divorced and, um, and, and, and she was, you know, had a girlfriend and everything. And it was like, I was started, wait a second. And, and, and this isn't even the first like time I'd been confronted with like having someone in my, I have, I have a, a, a gay uncle and, and things. So I, it wasn't like I'd never been around that, you know, sexuality or that lifestyle or anything but it was my sister and i was like we do it what was i thinking on eight what was that all about what was i protecting like do i really believe that now right it was like a serious i had to question my own belief um so that was one like um where i really started to question is this really what I, do i believe what i believe well you know it's interesting you said um, you bring it's interesting you bring that up because i actually just had uh, Patrick Mason, who is a you know a PhD, he holds the Leonard Arrington Chair at Utah State University. He's this Mormon scholar, talk, and he talked about Prop 8 and the church's involvement in it. And he, he disagreed with them being involved in it. And, and you know what I think is really interesting he, he brought up in that podcast was he said, there has never been an issue in in history of this type that has that the general consensus has changed so quickly and so largely mm -hmm. i mean yeah it's been 14 years since prop 8 in prop 8 and just for people who don't know what we're talking about proposition 8 basically banned gay marriage in california the mo one of the most progressive states in the union and it won overwhelmingly like almost 70 percent of people voted that way barack obama and hillary clinton both opposed same-gender marriage in 2008 when they were running for the presidency and now yeah. you you would be hard-pressed to even find a conservative who yeah. would say that that same-gender marriage should be illegal right yeah so, I mean, and this yeah. is 15 years right so i mean when you say what was i thinking your your you know your your pendulum on this has swung as did so many other people mine included yeah. Yeah. you know so that's yeah what were we thinking 
Well, yeah, and you know, you sit there and you think about that, right? Because, like, yeah, I, I remember when it was going on. I didn't have any signs in my yard. I didn't, uh, I didn't do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I really had a hard time with it. Uh, I was on, I was in law school, and there was a large fraternity. There was a called Lambda, which is the LGBTQ community uh, uh, fraternity, rather legal fraternity. And man, like I was put through the ringer. There was like eight of us who were Mormons, probably, mm. and we would beat up in every class. You know what I mean? And, uh, <laughs> it was a it was a hard it was a hard year. But uh, but uh, but let me ask you. Let me transition a little bit, uh, and we'll talk about this briefly. Um, you were you and I were both season ticket holders at the Kings. Yeah. And then, and, and then when the Kings, it seemed like you correct me if I'm wrong, but when they got involved with the Black Lives Matter organization. You kind of softly, not so softly, boycotted, like at least jokingly with me, would yeah. tell me that you no longer support the NBA. Yeah. So, yeah. So let me clarify a bit on that. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Your question, then I'll well, I, I want you to clarify it for me because, um, uh, because there was a very uh, probably one of the better questions I've ever gotten on this topic. That's going to kind of feed our conversation, but go ahead and clarify. Yeah. Okay. So it's, this is early COVID, right? I think it was early COVID March, 2020. Yeah. Um, And this is post George Floyd, Um, Mm -hmm. right? It's post George Floyd. Um, Black Lives Matter is a fairly relatively kind of new it started kind of started in the summer of 19 and this kind of gaining steam um and so here we are in about march and demarcus cousins um sends a text to grant napier or not a text a tweet to grant napier saying um to some extent trying to call him out and as a racist and and saying black and with it like a quote black lives matter something to the extent to uh, I can't remember exactly what the tweet was uh, Mm -hmm. to to Grant Napier, who was the broadcast announcer for the Kings for the past 25 years or so. Yeah. Not a bigger Kings fan, not a bigger Kings supporter in the planet. than That that man, that man, when they thought the Kings were going to leave, he was crying on the last podcast. Yeah. 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 He was crying. I was in, by the way, I was in Arco Arena, also in my seat crying. Okay. Yeah. I was up yeah. at the stands crying because I thought it was the last game, too. Uh, Grant, I was screaming, Grant and Jerry. Okay. That was mm-hmm. like, I still watch that video. I get emotional. Okay. That, so he, that guy bled purple, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimate King. So, so he gets it. Uh, uh, it was a troll tweet from Demarcus Cousins trying to get at him and, and Grant's response was, hey, DeMarcus, good to hear from you. Haven't heard you for a while. Hope all's doing well. I, um, hashtag all lives matter. Right. right. And because DeMarcus was Black Lives Matter. His was hashtag all lives matter. And so Grant Napier gets canceled, fired from the Kings, fired from his radio show, and completely canceled because of that. Even though, even though he deleted the tweet, Came back the next day, apologized, says he didn't realize what he was talking, you know, didn't realize that all lives matter would be taken that way. And he tried to explain all the things, but it didn't matter. The woke culture of overreaction and 
trying to appease this move, this woke movement overruled, over, overrode all of the goodwill that he had built up his whole career and is just wiped out, right? And I was like, whoa, what? The Kings just fired Grant Napier for what? So it's really shocking to me. And so the thing about me is that I hold loyalty as like one of my highest standards. Right. For me, loyalty is huge because um, I just feel like I have had a lack of loyalty in my life. And so when I find loyalty, I cherish it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I value it very high. I feel like I'm, I'm very loyal um, to my family, to my friends um, and my employer. And so when I saw that this complete and utter lack of loyalty to Grant Napier, to a guy who who's done it, he would do anything for the king. And he's fired and they just threw him to the side. I said, how can I support a company like that? How can I be loyal to a company that does not show loyalty to someone who is maybe the most deserving of it? And so it was, um, it was a point where I just had to, I had to make a, 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 a stand based on my ethics. What do I value and what do I support? And loyalty is a, a huge value, a huge, uh, something that I hold in high regard. And so I decided that I was no longer going to support them. I, I can't do anything to change anything that they're going to do, but I can do something about how I spend my money and who I support. So I canceled my season uh, uh, tickets, suggested that, suggested that my friends, partners do the same and explained my thinking on why, but said, you guys can do whatever you want. And that was it. Um, and so it started, that's where it started. It was a loyalty issue and less to do with Black Lives Matter. Now, the Black Lives Matter and wokeism that infected the NBA um, was repulsive to me, but for a different level, for a different reason. Um, Black Lives Matter uh, was an organization that, that, that came up and um, a lot of people were talking about it and I didn't know a lot about. And, and so... I decided to do research. Now, when I was a missionary, I always hated it when people um, would come up to me and tell me about what my church believed. Um, and I said, where'd you get that? And they show them some other source that wasn't from my church. Right. And so I didn't want to make that same mistake about Black Lives Matter. So I went right to their source. I went right to their website. This was, I don't know, summer, summer or fall of 2019 to figure out what is this? What do they really believe? And what I found in there aside from a bunch of stuff that is particular to black lives, it, it was inherently about, you know, specifically put together uh, as a group um, dedicated towards black people for black people, which great. Um, but then it got down to this thesis about their goal was to disrupt or dismantle the Western patriarchy and the nuclear family. <laughs> and I, when I read that, my mouth just dropped and I was completely taken aback. And I was like, well, that, that stands in stark contrast to what I hold most sacred and dear as being the patriarch of my family and having, um, you know, my, my nuclear family. That's, that's what I believe in most in, in my life. And so, um, I felt like the Black Lives Matter movement was 
was in direct contrast with my core beliefs as mm. uh, a patriarch, a father of my nuclear family. And so that's my issue with them. Aside yes, from you. anything else, that was my issue. So, so it sounds like what you, you're saying is you, you believe it's not that – because this is the question, right? The question that came yeah. through was – Explain your stance. I think you have on Black Lives Matter. How do, how is it? Yeah. Does it is it a philosophy or how the philosophy is carried out? And he yeah. said, I assume you simplest terms. You do believe that Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. You you take yeah, absolutely with, with the with the Black Lives Matter portion, like the actual words Black Lives Matter. You do believe no, Black I, Lives Matter. Yeah. Yes. But but absolutely. it sounds like what you're saying however, is that they've used that. I have however, on that, but yeah. I can say however. I, I fully support them to be able to that black lives absolutely matter. I feel like their thesis was racist. I mean, I mean, very, very racist. I mean, it, the, the pure definition of racist is exclusionary and specifically to only one race, right? Mm. Um, so that was a part of it that, that was, I thought was, you know, not for me, but it's mm. not anything I hated. I didn't, mm. I didn't hate, that was like, that would be like if there was this all white group that said like uh, all white lives matter and they wanted to, you know, uh, work on golfing and playing tennis or whatever. That was what they support. I, I don't think that, I don't think that I don't agree with that. I don't think that they should only have a group that excludes people or includes people. So solely on the base of race, I think that in itself is inherently racist, whether it's white people, whether it's brown people, whether it's black people, whatever. Right. So that part, I disagree with black lives matter, but I don't disagree that black lives matter. I don't disagree that um, there is an issue, a disparate, an issue with um, uh, training on our police officers. And I don't know if it's systemic racism, racism, but uh, systemic um, bad policing. Yeah. Well, let me bad policing that creates racist situation, but we can go back. But that's I'll, I'll put a pin in the Black Lives Matter. Yeah, that's that's a that, so we could yeah. talk about that. But it sounds like essentially what you're saying is is your issue was they're wanting to destroy the nuclear family and the Western patriarchy, kind of hiding yeah. that within the Black Lives Matter movement. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was the hidden gem for me. That was like the big I don't like you. That was so. So would you say would you just like you're whatever. So, so you're saying then, other other than the stuff you had with with Grant Napier, sounds like yeah. that organization, if they had removed that, they said, you know what, we're not trying to destroy the Western patriarchy anymore. We're not going after the nuclear family. We're strictly just focused on issues of black, you know, black people being killed by police and the issues there. Yeah, you'd be like, no problems. No problem. Okay. No, not none whatsoever. So, yeah. so yeah, now the systemic racism issue. And I, want I mean, to, other than the fact that it's kind of yeah, other than the fact that they kind of have a racist like thesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you you're the saying other stuff you're, is you're, good. Yeah, you're yeah. So you're saying that the fact that it's kind of exclusionary to anyone but black people, you don't you don't agree with that. Yeah, I mean, you have to read the link. I mean, I I would suggest any. I don't even know if their website is up now because of all the, um, kind of. Uh, Drama, I guess you'd have. There's yeah. been some um, people s- stealing money and and buying themselves houses, BLM leaders, and now it's sitting kind of pretty. So I don't know if the original website is still up, but 
I'm, I'm sure it's on there somewhere. People could go and just read that. And, and it came off to me like, just very racist, uh, yeah. and, which is okay because I, 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 I feel like, um, yeah, I, th- I feel like that's okay because me as a, a, a yeah, I, I, I just don't want to, I don't want to uh, take away from the good and the 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 main issues that they're bringing to light because I feel like they are bringing, to, like you said, the police brutality issues and and the need for more proper training and, and things like that. Those are all things that are good. They just have a, this bad stuff that's just like, you know, it's okay. it's funny. I want to have this conversation with you because I had a conversation with another Trump supporter who's a good friend of mine who, man, you know, this is another one of those situations where I think it's a hard conversation to have because, you know, we have a, I have a friend who's very into, you know, a lot of the conservative talk show hosts, you know, and I like some of them, too. I, I think some of them raise really great points. But I remember hearing one time Ben Shapiro, who I, I think is a very intelligent guy. He's a, he's a lawyer, too, you know, and, and he says, oh, show me the law. We won't hold that against him. <laughs> right, exactly. Nobody says, he says, show me the law that's racist, right? And, and it, you know, it's kind of a straw man's argument because when we talk about systemic racism, you have to talk about the three branches of government. So when you say, when you say, Oh, well, you know, show me the racist law. You're talking about the legislature, which which creates the law, sure. But if you have the judiciary and the executive branch, so when you have, you know, off, off, police officers are executive branch, they enforce the law, and then ju- judges interpret the law, including sentencing, right? So if you have, I mean, there's data that shows it. You know, black people are arrested several times more likely to be arrested than a white person for the same crimes. They're sentenced three times harsher than white people. They're 17% of our population. They're 95% of our prison population. So even though there's not a an objective racist law, if the judges and the officers are subjectively enforcing and interpreting it in a racist way, whether conscious or subconscious, right? Mm-hmm. Then it is systemic, right? And so... The issue I have is I've had this conversation often with conservatives, and the, and, and the issue is, is that it's almost like they just won't even believe that it's systemic. And so I'm always like, well, okay, listen, we can have a discussion on why it's systemic. You could, have, you could tell me that it's culture, it's welfare, it's police brutality, it's whatever, you know, but we can't even get there if we can't even acknowledge it is systemic. Right. And you like you brought it up. You like there needs to be training. Right. There needs to be. Yeah. training. OK, that's a step. Right. So I, it's not I, it's not defund the police. That's not the answer, in my opinion. You know what I mean? But we have to. I think no, absolutely to, not. That's the worst right. thing you can do. Right. But yeah. but it, but I think that's an extreme example. That is a reaction almost to the nope. There's no there's no racism. Right. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it's it's good to hear. I I thought that that part of the conversation was going to go a wildly different way, you know. Uh, and so, you know what I mean? But that again, see, this is, I have my own prejudices and I have my own opinions. I think this is a great conversation to have because now when someone, I, I got a lot of people who were like, so like, OMG, when I put on there, 
he decided to no longer support the NBA because of their Black Lives because of the stance on Black Lives Matter, and everyone was freaking out. Well, what you're saying makes sense, right? It's not about the racism. It's not about you agree. Yeah. You agree that that there's issues with police brutality. It's Absolutely. the nuclear family issue. So that's yeah, that's really interesting. And you're not the first person to tell me that. So that's that's really interesting. So. Well, look, Kevin, we, we, I told you it would be two hours. We're at two hours and 15. So you've, you've, you've given me more time. Pretty good job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad we did this. I hope that the people listening learned a little bit about that, you know, about what Trump, that they're Trump supporters. You're, you're, you are an incredibly logical person. And there are things in here that we, that I didn't agree with that you said. I, you know, but this wasn't my story. It was your story. Um, but like, I, I think it's hopefully this does something to let other people hear and understand where someone like you is coming from. And I really appreciate you coming on. This is the part where I'm, yeah, supposed, to, I'm supposed to tell people to subscribe. So subscribe. yeah, how do people how do people find you? How do people subscribe? Yeah, I'm on YouTube and Spotify. I'm trying to figure out Apple, but it is a tough nut to crack. I've got submitted it like three times and, and something's wrong with I, I think I need to have a picture that's like original. And I and I don't. Um but uh and I'll work on that. Um but yeah, no, you can find me on YouTube and Spotify. I'm all over Instagram, TikTok. Called the Ed Lowe Podcast or Ed Just Lowe called Podcast. the Ed Lowe Podcast. And let me tell you. <laughs> The, the groups are wildly different. Like the Facebook group, the Instagram group, and the TikTok group, wildly different. Like my my Facebook group is like a lot of – I don't even know who – I can't see who they are, right? They're just a bunch of people. My Instagram mm-hmm. group is mostly my friends, you know, and my TikTok group is just like – that Patrick Mason po- podcast hit, and I started putting reels out there. Boy, the, the former Mormon community just grabbed on and like mm-hmm. – and so it's really interesting <laughs> to hear that. And so it's been a, there's been some wild fights on my TikTok. So it's been fun. Well, hopefully some of your friends who are left leaning maybe can know that all of us, you know, Republican Trump supporters, we're not completely crazy. Maybe maybe they're picking up we're a little crazy. Uh, maybe we have some wacky beliefs. But what what I think is most important is what we touched on in the beginning is that we have way more in common than we actually have different. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of our goals and our desires and dreams are the same. Yeah, and think about what you said, right? Like, this is what I've come out of listening to you. You're a family man. Nuclear family is important to you. You value loyalty. You value country. You you agree in a lot of the tenets of what liberals believe in, particularly when it comes to equal rights for women, equal rights for the LGBTQ community. You may have a different view of what equal rights means, but that's a conversation I'm sure you're willing to have. Yeah. You you don't agree with the way that Trump talks. You find him since January 6th to be deplorable and you're not going to vote for him again. I mean, yeah. that is a much different story than I bet if someone made it the two hour and 18 minutes, it's a much different story than I bet they <laughs> thought about when they were coming in. And seeing that keep yeah. America great <laughs> flag in the back. So <laughs> anyway, well, well, good. Well, you know, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure we'll hang. We got to get our group back together too. We got to get the five of us back. Yeah. Together. So absolutely. 
Anyway, all right. Well, this has been the Edlo Podcast. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right.